Baseball isn't just numbers, numbers, numbers. This game is not being played on computers. You don't do that with a bunch of statistical gimmicks. You don't put a team together with a computer. We're talking weighted runs created plus. Expected Woba. Sweet spot rate. Defensive runs above average. Average exit velocity. Barrel rate. XFIP. BABIP. SIERA. We are above replacement radio. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio, we're talking baseball, kind of whenever I'm your host, Chris Chianta, over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I'm doing very well today. Uh, it is the last podcast before the big day on Tuesday, Election Day, January 23rd, 2024, uh, the Hall of Fame election, the one that I've been anticipating for about three years now. It's coming up on, to, on Tuesday, and uh, this will likely be the last pod. Uh, without Adrian Beltre in the Baseball Hall of Fame. It could be the last pod without Todd Helton in the Hall of Fame, without Joe Maurer in the Hall of Fame, without Billy Wagner in the Hall of Fame. Uh, we'll get into a lot of that, but today we got one one piece of news that happened in the last week. It's been very quiet this week. We have uh, two more top 10 positional breakdowns, and we have another Hall of Fame bubble case. Yes, yes. One last bubble case uh, before the... Uh... The election or the yeah, the uh, results of the election come out, um, which is very fun. So much. Yeah. So much that's, you know, uh, undecided um, and so much that we don't yeah. really know heading into Tuesday, which makes it all the more exciting. You know, there were there have been instances where it looks like, oh, yeah, there's definitely one guy, but not others. Or there's definitely no one going in like, you know, in 2021. But yeah, this year, it seems like there's like a three guys where you could you you could go 50 50 on if they're going to make it or not yeah not only that but it's also the first time since 2020 where we're going into a hall of fame election knowing for a fact that there will be someone elected you know adrian beltre is getting in uh there's no other way of putting it and he's probably going to get 90 plus 95 plus percent of the vote which is uh which is excellent because he deserves it yes 100 percent, 100 percent. and we'll uh, also, with our, um, we're going to be, you know, kind of revealing our ballots uh, as well. Nonetheless, um, we will get right into uh, the Josh Hader news. Josh Hader signs five years, $95 million with the Houston Astros. What, what did you think of this move? I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is what the Astros back end of the bullpen looks like, right? They have Josh Hader now, but they also have Brian Abreu, who is, was on my all underrated team who made a name for himself, not in the best ways, but made a name for himself during the ALCS last year. They also have Ryan Presley, who's been a solid closer for them uh, for the better part of like half a decade now and still is very much going. So, uh, you know, the, the rotation depth of the Astros is questionable this year behind Framber Valdez. There, it doesn't really feel like there's anyone you can perfectly rely on. Even Justin Verlander, Verlander to a degree looked a little off last year, but you know, if you're if you're losing to the Astros after six innings, good luck because it's not going to get any easier. Yeah, for sure, for sure, and and uh, you know, although that being said, you know, I do understand where the Astros are coming from in in signing such a high profile, um, in 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 signing such a high profile reliever, um, because they did kind of that bullpen as a whole sort of took a step back last year, um, you know. In 2022, they were kind of overwhelmingly the best bullpen in baseball. I know they had the lowest ERA with a 280, uh, also a very low FIP at 305. Those n numbers jumped 
respectively up to three, five, six, and four, one, five. Um, so, you know, they, th- it moved, uh, and Ryan Presley took some steps back. His strikeout rate dropped like 8% or something like that. And his whiff rate dropped around 8% as well. So I think the, I think the Astros kind of saw that they saw the bullpen regression as a whole. They saw Ryan Presley's regression as a whole, albeit both are still good. The Astros bullpen is still very good. Ryan Presley's still very good, but not quite at the elite status they want to be at, especially as a championship contender. And, you know, they made that move and I, and I give, um, I give props to them because they're not really going with the legacy approach of like, okay, this guy's earned the right to have this role. You know, it's, I think it's a, it's a very aggressive and pretty solid approach there by the Astros. Yeah. I mean, I think you can make the case that they have three closer caliber caliber relievers right there. Cause Abreu, I think would be a closer on a lot of teams. Uh, and then he might be the seventh inning guy in Houston. I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the year, he's even in that closer role. Um, there is one thing that I wanted to note, and one thing that I'm very curious to see if the Astros could do this with Josh Hader, because the Astros have excellent pitching development, right? They have for so many years. That's how they transformed Garrett Cole. Uh, that's, you know, they transformed Charlie Morton. They made Justin Verlander turn back the clock. There's one small thing that I really want to see them do with Josh Hader. Um, and the Brewers, to their credit, also have great pitch development, and they couldn't do this, so maybe it is just a thing. But I'm very interested to see what this hypothetical thing could look like so josh Hader is a sinker baller he threw his sinker 73.4 percent of the time in 2023 and that's the way it's been for his entire career uh it's actually like the lowest he's thrown his sinker in any season throughout his career has been 65.4 percent so you know he, he that's exactly who he is that's who he's always been however what he's never been is a ground ball pitcher and those two things are usually hand in hand. If you're a sinker baller, you usually get a lot of ground balls. If you get a lot of ground balls, there's a good chance you have a sinker as one of your top uh, pitches. And the highest ground ball rate Josh Hader has ever had in a season was last year at 37%, which is 8% below the MLB average. And the reason why Josh Hader doesn't get the traditional sinker results on a sinker is for two reasons. One, because of his location. He usually throws it up in the zone. Uh, you know, he usually gets hitters to chase uh, at a high pitch, uh, which is odd because sinkers are supposed to move down. So you'd think he throws them in the lower part of the zone. He throws them in the higher part of the zone, generally speaking. Two is because of the movement on his sinker. Uh, now, I mentioned this a couple shows ago, but his sinker has 99% active spin, which means that 99% of the spin that comes from his sinker uh, or of the movement that exists on his sinker is because of its spin there are other uh you know there are other things that control the movement of a baseball uh but 99 percent of it for josh Hader's sinker is its spin now the good now we talked about this with marcus stroman last week uh the best way to get a high ground ball rate on a sinker is to have spin not contribute to its movement um there are other impacts like the magnus effect um like foolish baseball did a very good video explaining what that is Anyway, what I'm trying to say here is if the Astros can decrease the active spin on Josh Hader's sinker and he can make him into a ground ball pitcher, he could be even better than the pitcher we've already seen him be in the previous like decades worth of seasons. Right, yeah. I'm I'm curious what the goal of his sinker is because it really just seems like a four-seam fastball, even just viewing it personally. It is. It it looks like a four seam fastball and it moves like a four seam fastball. 
and I don't know if I don't know if he want I don't know if he wants that pitch to be a ground ball pitch necessarily. Although, like obviously, like it would be interesting if if they wanted to do that. But like his sinker had like last year, for example, his sinker had uh like less had had a nine point eight less inches of drop than the average sinker, uh, which is a high high amount. And the year before that, it was 8.2 less inches of a vertical drop than the average sinker. Um, and he's, and as you mentioned, he always throws it up in the zone and he gets a fair amount of whiff of whiffs on it. He has a 28% whiff rate on, on his sinker, which would probably be yeah, among yeah. the highest. Um, so I don't even know. I, I don't like, I'm, I wonder if you ask Josh Hader himself, if he, if he classifies that as a sinker, because just observing it, I feel like it just seems like a four seam fastball and, some for some for whatever reason Statcast just classifies it as a sinker. It probably has the t- he probably uses the twos. Right. Yeah. Uh, but aren't we only two years removed now from Josh Hader giving up one point four four home runs per nine, and having a five twenty two ERA because of it, and a fifteen um, percent home run to fly ball ratio. Something I, that his is thirteen percent over the course of his career. I guess, but I mean, he's coming off a year where. Uh, hitters only slug 270 off of it, you know, 22 degree launch angle, which like, you know, that is could very be seen. High. It's, it's very, very high. high, but also it seems like it causes a lot of pop-ups, which is really, really, you know, not the norm for most sinkers. No. Um, so I'm curious, I'm maybe like just separately, I'll, I'll observe that, especially yeah, with the reliever um rankings coming up uh, later on over the course of the, uh, over the course of the period of time. But like I'm sure like his sinker pop-up rate is like among the highest and sinker ground ball rate is among the lowest. Um, and I feel, I, I feel like that it sort of just acts as, his, as his four seam fastball. Cause I don't know, it just, it just doesn't seem normal like this, especially considering the, the um, differences in his uh, sinker drop as opposed to the other um, pitcher sinker drop. The thing about Josh Hader is that throughout much of his career, he's been very good at, uh, balancing the direction of all batted balls against him last year especially was great for him 31.9 percent of his batted balls against were pulled 33.6 percent were straight away 34.5 percent were to the opposite fields with him going to the to houston i would be very concerned if of like 38 percent of his batted balls against were pulled because if he's giving up a lot of you know a lot of fly balls and he's giving up a lot of pulled flat or pulled batted balls in Houston, where he's traditionally going to face righties more than lefties. You know that's that could be a little concerning. Yeah, is is does he have a pull rate above normal? Um, no. Typically. So it's, it's 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 it is a little below normal. Yeah, yeah, and it's something. It's yeah, like I said, it's it's something that you know it is very good that he's been good at throughout his career. Because if that was a problem for him, I don't think it would go as well in Houston as it's gone in previous destinations for him. Right, right. Um, and and yeah, like uh, with him being a Brewers, a Brewers pitcher, like they, you know, it's not it's a hitter's park, but it doesn't have any necessarily like cartoonishly home run type areas. And uh, yeah, I'm looking at Josh Hader's uh, sinker numbers and among 96 pitchers with 200 uh, batted balls against sinkers over the past three years, Hader has the second highest pop-up rate against on his sinker. Um, and then 
I'm curious where that translates in terms of uh ground. Who's number one? Uh, Drew Smiley. And then Josh Hader also has the lowest ground ball rate of those 96. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm curious what, what he views the purpose of a sinker as. I am also very curious because I, part of me wonders, you know, I mean, I, I don't think there's going to be any change because he's already been successful as a pitcher with that sinker for so long, but I, I, I can't help but wonder what it would look like, uh, if it was if he got the traditional sinker results, also worth noting, Drew Smiley uh, in 2023 uh, had 99th percentile active spin on his sinker as well. Yeah, right, right, right. So, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering where that, like, because Hater is still he's still like a very, very solid strikeout pitcher, and also garners a lot of pop ups. Um, so I don't even know if it would be best for him to um, to try and be a ground ball pitcher at this stage in his career right now. Um, maybe in a different stage though. Yeah. Maybe in a different stage. Uh, if Maybe if in year four or five down. of this contract. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. It's, it's an interesting observation to make. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's, it's very weird how also like, not only does his not only is his vertical drop well below average, his horizontal movement is well below average for a sinker. So that basically means that it's more like a four seam fastball than most other guys who have sinkers. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, maybe I'll have to just watch some Josh Hader tape and see what that looks like. Um, yeah, but but yeah, it's it's definitely very interesting. Yeah, I mean, if you look on Savant, like it has. You know, it has two C movement. Okay. Like yeah. There's the little animation of the the axis the ball spins at, and it spins at a two seam movement rate. Yeah, that's. So I mean, that's that's you know that's why it's classified as a. A four seam right. fastball and spin like a four seam fastball, or not spin like a four seam fastball, but it moves like one. Yeah, he he must just not like uh, use any finger pressure to throw it that makes that manipulate that manipulates it anyway mm -hmm. um because i think that's how most people uh throw the sinker is whether it's a different wrist action or or uh finger pressure thing yeah so anyway, yeah welcome to arr where we uh where we do a 10 minute segment about the active spin on josh Hader's sinker and how that will affect uh his time in houston yes yes you know we've uh we've both rejected uh at least 10 jobs with MLB teams as their you know as pitching advisors you know just on the side as as we're doing our own work um but you know we're we're just dedicated to the craft and and we're we just want to stay fans but yeah sorry to all the MLB teams who we rejected to be you know like pitching pitching development people there yeah um <laughs> yeah but uh but nonetheless um yeah, anything more on the on the Josh Hader deal? It, I think kinda, was... it, it kind of sucks for the um we all thought it was he was going to go to the Rangers. Yeah. Like Yeah, no, I it made the the fit made sense. It was the one place where the Rangers really needed to make upgrades. Um and it, they've shown in the past that they're not scared to spend big money. Uh I thought it made all the sense in the world. Yeah, yeah, and I I mean, also the Rangers have been kind of quiet in the offseason which you know that hasn't been the case the past couple of years so i kind of it's i guess it's i guess more acceptable to 
be a little bit more quiet this offseason. But yeah, not not quite what we expected, but you know, there's still time. Yeah. Um so uh now do we want to get into some some rankings? Yeah, sure. So yeah, um this week we have the corners of the infield. Um we have first base and third base. And uh and yeah, so we'll get right into them and just uh just before we start speaking, uh we do kind of reference a lot of underlying numbers with uh with these rankings, like whether it be expected results, strikeout rate, walk rate, um, you know, average exit velocity, barrel rate, uh, batted ball metrics like uh line drive rate, sweet spot rate, um, fly ball rate, ground ball rate. And th- that's just and we talk about those typically more than the on the surface numbers because that's typically what's going to project the next year of like, okay, if this guy improved his barrel rate and he keeps that up, he's probably going to hit more home runs or, or, you know, the, on the contrary, you know, if he, if he had a h- higher ground ball rate last year, he's probably going to, you know, not have as good as not, not have as good of offense results this year. Or if he hit the ball harder this year, he's going to have better results. So all that is very important when we're talking about projecting these players for 2024, because these lists are a projection of what we think they're going to do in 2024. But with all that being said, we'll start with first base. Uh, what do you have for number 10? So at number 10, I, this might be starting out with a hot take. I feel like you'll probably feel very similar about this guy. Uh, but you know, if you showed us this tape two years ago and showed us putting this guy or showed me putting this guy at number 10, I feel like we'd be wondering what happened, but I am putting Vlad Guerrero jr as my number 10 first baseman started. Have not seen 20, 2021 Vlad really in any capacity since that season. Um, he hit 264 last year with a sub 800 OPS um, and first percentile uh, infielder in outs above average with minus 13. Uh, he has been a very, very subpar base runner with nine, minus seven BSR. Um so because of that, his war has really suffered. He only had one win above replacement last year uh, with only a 118 weighted runs created plus, which, you know, for, for a guy like Vlad Jr., you got to expect more. Um, there's been a lot of concern with the decline in him. I think the biggest one is the power decline. You know, in, in 2021, he had a 290 isolated power, even with a 311 batting average. Between his slugging percentage and his batting average, it was 290 points. Um, that's excellent that means he's mixing in a lot of power it means a lot of his offensive game is related to power um and this year it was only 179 it was over it was 111 points lower from um so you know with the combination running and uh the decline in offense you know i feel like we had to bump him down to quite a few spots from where we would have previously had him but he's still only going into his age uh 25 season you know, he still had very good exit velocity numbers last year. He hit the ball hard. He doesn't strike out a lot. He walks a much better uh, amount, or he walks a pretty good amount. He walks about 10% of the time. You know, I believe that that upside is still in there, but it's hard to see right now with what we've seen out of him in the last couple of seasons. Right, right. And I feel like no matter who's putting out the rankings, the rankings are kind of are kind of are kind of going to vary on uh Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I know he was number seven in the uh, MLB top 10 first baseman right now, MLB network. And then uh, Mike Petriel actually had him number four. So he expects 
some big thing, some big improvements yeah. out of Guerrero. Uh, I would love to see, I would love to see a breakout next year. But you know, part of me really wonders if we saw the peak of his offense in 2021, and if you know, if he's going to be a a 130, 135 weighted runs created plus bat, how much can you still value it with his defense and base running being what they are? Yeah, especially with both of those. You know, because like. Taking a- 2022 yeah. would be a kind of a perfect example of that. Those were around his wins above replacement on fan graphs ended up around like three, three and a half. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and yeah, both, both his base running and defense kind of took a hit last year. So uh, along with the offense or as long, along with the, at the plate offense. Um, so nonetheless, yeah. Uh, my number 10 is uh from the hometown team um making making a debut here he's coming off his rookie season in which he finished i believe third in the rookie of the year vote um if i'm not mistaken but yeah i'm talking about tristan cassis um and in his alum uh, tristan cassis uh yes arr alum tristan cassis uh yeah daniel interviewed him in the worcester red sox clubhouse in april of 2022 and uh, yeah, Cassis has really improved. Uh, or has really has really had a breakout in his final fifty-five games of the season last year, which kind of made his rookie of the year case uh, a lot better. And in those final fifty-five games, he hit three nineteen with a ten thirty-eight OPS. And out of one hundred eighty-two hitters with two hundred plus plate appearances in that fifty-five game span, his slugging ranked fourth and OPS ranked third. Uh, and then his expected numbers kind of. Uh, fell in line there his expected slugging and expected woba ranked 11th out of 187 in that span and overall throughout the whole year not just that 55 game span he was 85th percentile or higher in chase rate walk rate barrel rate expected slugging and expected woba um so yeah really optimistic about his offense uh hopefully just as a red sox fan we see that defense improve Uh, i think his base running wasn't um terrible for a first baseman so i'm not is concerned about that, but I would really like to see that defense improve, whether it's um, range or just making the plays that he needs to make. Uh, but yeah, I have him uh, number 10 on this list. Also shout out to uh, a guy who was sort of ineligible because fan graphs uh, put him as a DH um, for this upcoming year, but Josh Naylor, he was in high consideration for that 10 spot. But then I realized when I went to the fan graphs roster resource, he's actually a DH. So he he is kind of on that top around that top 10 level for first baseman but uh the Fangraphs has the Guardians with uh Kyle Manzardo as the first baseman which is probably um it's probably pretty realistic considering the defensive skill that he has as opposed to Josh Naylor but um if if Naylor was a first baseman I would have him I might have him in this top 10 list but he is labeled a DH um what do you have for number nine so for number nine, I have a guy I think very similar in batted ball profile and overall skill set to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Um, I'm going with a guy that also had a down year in 2022, or in 2023 rather, that uh, we have seen a lot of interesting things out of. It's Vinny Pasquantino from the Kansas City Royals. I put it number nine. Uh, I chose him over Vlad, and it was very close. I think these two are very interchangeable, but uh, over you know throughout the 400 uh, batted uh, he has an 11.6% strikeout rate and a 10.8% walk rate. And part of me wonders if that's just even still his adjustment to major league pitching, you know, 
because Vlad Guerrero Jr. had that adjustment period from around 2019 to 20 before he really broke out in 2021. And we haven't seen a full season of Vinny Pasquantino yet, and I'm really wondering what that could look like. And in 2023, you know, he did have a down year, but uh, his expected batting average was uh, 282. He had a 247 actual. His expected slugging was 454. His actual slugging was 437. So, you know, he actually did not perform quite to the tune of his expected numbers. Uh, and his sweet spot rate was 37.8%, um, which is excellent, far above average. So, you know, he doesn't strike out. He doesn't uh, swing and miss a lot. He has good expected numbers. He hits the ball in the sweet spot. Um, there are a couple things that could be better. His defense and base running are very similar to Vlad Guerrero Jr.'s. Um, but I ended up putting Vinny Pasquantino in my nine. Right, right. Yeah, and uh, I'll um, double down there, and I have Vinny Pascantino also as my number nine. Um, and yeah, his his uh, on-the-surface numbers dropped, and even, yeah, even like expected numbers, I think, dropped a little bit. However, um, what I looked into was the fact that, you know, he had a, he suffered an injury in June that sidelined him for the entire rest of the year. It was a shoulder injury. It was a torn labrum. But I don't believe that it was a single event in June that uh, that had him sidelined because he had some days off beforehand where he was trying to like shake off this injury, but it turned out to be something much larger. So I'm wondering when he actually sustained that injury because there might be a correlation to that and his uh, his offensive downturn because in the first um, in the first 38 games of his of his 2023 season he had a 922 OPS and 91 and a half mile per hour average exit velocity then in the final 23 that average exit velocity dropped to 85.9 miles per hour and his OPS was 505 in those final 23 games as opposed to 922 in the first 38 uh also his expected batting average went from 327 to 211 uh and in the 110 games preceding that slump he had a he had an 864 OPS and 140 weighted runs created plus. So I think part of it is was just he uh he had he sustained some sort of injury maybe in May and that may have been what uh what dropped his offensive performance because as as noted in those stats like his underlying numbers went down that average exit velocity went down significantly. So I'm wondering if he just didn't have the the power didn't have just the capable body ability to perform offensively like he was previously because you know the, those previous 110 games of his career he was a 141 140 weighted runs created plus guy which is really really impressive so i'm kind of banking on that being optimistic about that pre-injury stuff um or what i uh what i surmise is a pre-injury thing so yeah I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about his offense and he's one of those guys where like uh better defense and base running would put him higher on this list but uh, i have him number nine um, what do you have for number eight? Yeah, number eight. This is where I put Tristan Casas. You mentioned his final 55 games of 2023. I went even further and looked at his last 71 games uh, going back to June 16th. So most of the most of his season uh, or, you know, a good chunk of it where he hit 311 with a 986 OPS, um, a 401 on base percentage, 17 home runs, 35 walks. Um, you know, and he was, yeah, one of the best hitters in the league. You had the stats, uh, ready to go. And, you know, he ended up, you know, despite being really, really bad in the first, uh, couple of months there, he finished the season with a 129 weighted runs created plus, 
uh, a thirteen percent walk rate, um, which also kind of rose in the last few uh, few months there. But yeah, I mean, he hits the ball very well. You know, he had a three seventy expected weighted on base average. He had a five hundred x slug, which was actually higher than his actual slugging. Uh, he averaged over ninety one miles per hour in exit velocity. He barreled the ball well. He didn't chase at all, which meant he walked a lot. And he also hit it in the sweet spot a lot. And yeah, the defense and base running, again, kind of an issue. I mean, this is a theme we're going to see with a lot of first basemen because first base is generally the hardest defensive position to accumulate good defensive statistics. We'll probably point out the one guy that we both have on this list that excels at that, that, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think Casas, Pasquantino, and Vlad are all very similar uh, right now going into 2023, but I really like the upside that Casas showed uh, you know, more recently than the other two, right? You know, Vlad and Pasquantino are both coming off down years. Casas is coming off a three-month stretch, four-month stretch in the season where he was one of the best hitters in all of Major League Baseball. Right, right. And yeah, by the way, uh, Pasquantino was left off the MLB Network top 10 and Casas was number 10 on that list. Uh, so he's getting he's getting some love. And yeah, shout and a uh, moment of silence for... um. All the people in May who uh, dissed his whole process and him uh, getting walks and maybe his batted ball luck and just just dismissing it. So, uh, yeah, moment of silence for for all of that, all the Tristan Cassis haters out there. Yeah, we will we will never forget. Thank you. Um, so, uh, so yeah, hopefully that continues in 2023 at number eight is where so yeah we kind of swapped here my number eight is where i have a uh, vladimir guerrero jr um which yeah some some people might also label that as me underrating him but um but yeah and and i have him above uh i have him above where you have him at so it's kind of a, a balance there uh, i think he is due for an offensive bounce back uh, he was 90th percentile or higher in strikeout rate, average exit velocity, expected WOBA, and expected batting average. Um, so I think he will, you know, sort of uh, figure his way back to like maybe that 130, 140, maybe even 150 OPS plus uh, type hitter. Um, he's not necessarily based off of those numbers, he's not due to be back to where he was back in 2021, but maybe back uh, in 2022. And, um, Along with that, I'm curious. I'm curious what that, uh, where his defensive runs saved and outs above average will be at. I'm wondering if that was an outline season or if that's a trend. If that's a trend, that's pretty bad, considering he's only 25. But it could just be an outline season where you know it just the defensive metrics didn't like him or he just was playing through something and you know couldn't play as good of defense. Uh, so yeah, I don't really expect an MVP finalist season out of him, but I could I could see him at that 2022 level again, where he was, you know, in, in that 2022 season, I believe he was at a 133 OPS plus. Um, I could see that I could see an OPS plus around there, or or maybe even 140. Um, so yeah, just just based off of what I saw last year, um, I think I think he'd get there. However, I do think there are seven first basemen ahead of him for uh, for good reason. Um, and where do you have, yeah, what do you have for your number seven? Uh, my number seven, I have a guy with a very big year, a big contract year coming, and his negotiations with his team have been very public. I'm talking about Pete Alonso from the New York Mets. I have him in my number seven. Uh, and, you know, I mean, it's weird when you look at first baseman because a lot of them kind of feel very similar. Uh, Pete Alonso, I would put above the three that I've obviously previously mentioned um, because, 
you know, he's been such a consistent hitter in that Mets lineup since 2019. Um, and, you know, the defense and the base running are, are what they are. Um, they've been kind of the same throughout his entire career, but uh, he did suffer his lowest weighted runs created plus uh, in a full season this past year. The only year where he had a worse one was 2020, but that was, you know, only a 57-game season for him. Um, he did, you know, he did have a 205 BABIP, which I think was a large part of it. Um, you know, so I, I do expect uh, an offensive resurgence out of him this year. Um, but he did hit, uh, you know, he did, uh, he did drop his sweet spot rate by a couple points this last year. Um, he did drop a couple of his expected numbers from previous years. Um, so, you know, I think, I think ne- this past year will be the worst one that we see pre-free agency from him. Um, but, you know, I do wonder if we're going to see, like, 2019 Pete Alonso again. And uh, to be fair, the juice balls, they were what they were. But even maybe even, like, 2021 Pete or 22 Pete. Right, right, right. And uh, more consensus from AR here as Pete Alonso is also my number seven. Um, and, yeah, with Pete Alonso, Pete Alonso can be a complicated uh, conversation depending on who you're talking to for the novice I think they really like Pete Alonso. I think that's why he's he kind of gets overrated sometimes because of the home run numbers, the RBI numbers. Um, you know, he and and what I have to say to that is don't get fooled by his 46 home runs last year because he had the second fewest total bases for a 45 home run season in baseball history. Uh, you know, he didn't accumulate the doubles, he didn't get on base via single a whole lot. Like most of his total bases were from home runs. So if he wasn't you know, 46 home runs is great. That's awesome. But if you're not accumulating, if you're not getting uh, on base in other ways and your offense production is mostly through home runs, it brings down your value a little bit. Um, so that's what I have to say to that. Um, and, uh, you know, he finished top 10. He finished outside the top 10 in total bases despite finishing third in home runs. So that's just kind of to break it down for people who, think he should be ranked higher because he hits a lot of home runs and is one of the best home runs hitter home run hitters in baseball although it has its value of obviously it's not everything um but on the other side he is due to improve offensively in those categories that we do care about like ops slugging all that um he as you know he had a 205 bab as you mentioned and he also had the second unluckiest difference in batting average and expected batting average out of 122 uh so yeah i think he could bounce back offensively you know he's also one of those guys you know defensive base running base running holds him back a little bit even comparative to the other first baseman you know as you mentioned also first ba- first base is not a position known for its base running and defense um but even even with that comparative to others, he's he's a little bit down on that. So uh, that's what kind of brings him down the list for me. But yeah, I could definitely see, you know, a, you know, one forty OPS plus again, uh, back to that level once again. Uh, which yeah, which puts him number seven in my mind. Um, who do you have uh, number six? So at number six, I went very very back and forth between my five and my six and who I wanted to go with, and it was a really tough decision. Uh, but for my six, I decided to go with Christian Walker uh, from the Arizona Diamondbacks, the best defensive first baseman in baseball uh, outside of maybe Carlos Santana, but that's not important um, because it's Christian Walker, man. Uh, he had a very interesting year where he was 
uh you know his defense was still solid for the position he was like marginally negative in terms of defensive runs above average at minus 1.2 uh which is excellent for a first baseman because uh they really try to push your value down as a first baseman uh with those numbers his base running was also very good he put up a 120 weighted runs created plus um and you know i I did have a hard time uh with four and five the only thing is that he really did outperform his expected numbers quite a bit. His slugging percentage found his way at 497. His expected slugging was at 460. Um, his Woba was at 351. His expected Woba was at 339. Um, and that's only a minor difference. But, you know, this that was only in, in the case of bringing him to six instead of five. Because if you have him at five, I would not be uh, mad at that. I think there's a completely fair reason. But, yeah, best defensive first baseman in baseball uh outside of like i said maybe carlos santana but he's been doing it uh consistently and more longer so uh, i'll I'll still give christian walker that title for right now um yeah i mean he has a very unique skill set for the position still a very good hitter uh obviously got his team to the world series last year as you know one of the longer tenured players on that team uh, his batted ball data is very good i would like to see a little more line drives out of him he only had a 19 percent line drive rate last year but that's kind of minor um, but yeah, Christian Walker, I have in my six. Yeah, Walker, Walker is very good. He was part of uh, he was part of my <clears throat> all underrated team. Uh, I also have him number six. Uh, yeah, he's just like looking at his his twenty twenty two and his twenty twenty three, very very similar. Uh, he uh, and and that's a that's a good thing. Like they were both pretty good seasons. Like both very very good seasons. Uh, he had a 125 OPS plus and 14 outs above average in 2022, and then a 123 OPS plus and 11 outs above average in 2023. Uh, also, if you're wondering why, you know, negative defensive defensive runs above average while having a high outs above average, um, that's because uh, the first base position, like just playing the first base position, brings your value down a little bit because it's less. It's just less defensive uh, responsibility and. Typically, the best defensive players are not playing first base. Um, but among the crowd of first basemen, Christian Walker is the is the best among them for sure. Uh, and uh, you know that leads to him having the fifth most F four among first basemen since the start of twenty twenty two, which makes it pretty easy to put him in this list. Uh, the I think the only reason why I don't have him higher is there's another guy who uh, who just he he's picking up the first base position this year who already has a yep. tremendous track track record. Um, so yeah, Christian Walker, number six, uh, more consensus there. We already have three, three guys in the same spot. Uh, what do you have for your number five? My number five, I would be surprised if we agree on this one too. This was the guy that I really went back and forth with between he and Christian Walker. It's the guy that used to play on Christian Walker's team, Paul Goldschmidt, uh, Paul Goldschmidt won MVP in the national league in 2022. And, uh, you know, there was a bit of batted ball luck on his side, sure. But uh, he was actually it actually balanced out this year because there was a lot of misfortune for him in 2023. He had a hard hit rate at 50.8 percent and an average exit velocity at 91.3 percent. Both of those elite numbers at age 35. um, His expected slugging was 491. He ended up slugging 447. So that's a 50 point difference or close to a 50 point difference. Uh, his walk rate was still in the 89th percentile. His sweet spot rate was still in the 62nd percentile. His chase rate was above average. Uh, there are still so many things that Paul Goldschmidt does very well uh, at age 35 going into age 36. And one of them is base running. Uh, his BSR was 2.6 last year, which is 
still very, very good for the position and also just for a 36-year-old or a 35-year-old. And just in general, it's very good. His defensive runs above average was only minus 8.2, which is very good for first base. And, uh, you know, he still put up 3.7 wins above replacement last year. He could very easily get back to 4 uh, F4 in 2024. Uh, Paul Goldberg, uh, there is still a lot left in the tank with him, and he's going to be a future Hall of Famer. Yeah, yeah, love that, love that. Um, my number five. This is where we differ here, and and Ooh. this is where I disrespect your guy maybe a little bit. Hmm. Although m- maybe I have him ranked higher than some people would because he is. You absolutely do. He is very underrated. I I, I want to see actually um, I, I accidentally xed out of the um, out of the first base rankings, but we'll get we'll get. I know to what you're talking time. about. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, uh, Yandy Diaz. He uh is one of the best hitters out there and more people do need to know about that. That's for sure. Um, just follow Daniel on Twitter. You'll, you'll get all the information uh, out of him. But yeah, uh, Yandy Diaz has a 151 OPS plus in the last two seasons and out of 105 hitters with a thousand plate appearances since the start of 2022, Diaz ranks eighth in OPS plus uh, that's among all hitters in baseball. And also uh, last year, he was 95th percentile or higher in average exit velocity, hard hit rate, expected batting average, and expected WOBA. Um, what holds me back here is the uh, is the is the defense and base running. He has a negative 10 fielding run value over the past two years and negative 12 uh, base running runs over the last two years. That prevents me from putting him higher. I think. Um, the other guys in this list, they have, they might not have the exact um, offensive pedigree or at least um, batting pedigree as Yandy Diaz over the past two years, but they have similar uh, similar numbers to Diaz, but much better uh, defensive and, and uh, base running metrics. However, it is definitely close, uh, but I have Diaz number five here. Um, do you have him number four or do you have him even higher? I do indeed have Yanni Diaz at number four. So, you know what? I mean, you, you might look at it as disrespecting my guy. I think it's perfectly valid. Uh, we only, we're only having him separated by one spot. Yandy Diaz, to me, is the most underrated hitter in all of baseball. Since the start of 2022, he has a 314 batting average, which ranks third among all qualifiers. He has a 406 OBP, which ranks fourth. A 475 slugging percentage, which ranks 25th. An 881 OPS, which ranks 11th a 155 weighted runs created plus that ranks 7th, a 13.3% strikeout rate, which ranks 7th, a 12.3% walk rate, which ranks 12th, a 0.93 walk-to-strikeout ratio, which ranks 5th, a 92.8% average exit velocity that ranks 8th, a 51.6% hard hit rate, which ranks tied for 5th, and a 375 expected WOBA, which ranks 9th. Uh, that is all since the start of 2022. I think Yandy Diaz is a top 10 hitter, in the game right now. I think he there are not there are not 10 hitters that you can confidently say are better than Yanni Diaz. In fact, Chris, do you know how many first basemen had a higher weighted runs created plus than Yanni Diaz in 2023? Uh would that be would that be one or two? It would be zero. He had a higher weighted runs created plus than Freddie Freeman. He had a higher weighted runs created plus than Matt Olson. 
Uh, there is no dis- there's no uh, denying the fact that he is a, a probably top three to four offensive first baseman. I have him as the number four first baseman entirely. And yes, I do agree. The defense and base running are not very good, even by positional standards. He had a minus seven BSR last year, which was very bad. Minus 12.1 defensive runs above average is kind of on par with the rest of, of first baseman out there. Um, but yeah, he hits the ball very hard. He sprays it very evenly among the field. Um, he's a guy that hits 44.3% of his batted balls straight away, which is very good for a guy that has, uh, you know, has a high ground ball rate, which he does 52%, uh, reasonable line drive rate at 23%. Um, power is not exactly his thing to the degree of everything else, but he still did hit 22 home runs last year. He slugged 522, um, and put up a 932 OPS. And yes, the defense and base rating are what they are. Um, but I think Yandy Diaz is the number four uh, first baseman. I did put only three guys above him. And yeah, he did have a higher OPS or weighted runs created plus than Freddie Freeman and Matt Olson last year. Yeah, that is uh, that is quite the feat, especially considering how great of years those two had. Um, and yeah, uh, with referencing the MLB Network list again, Diaz was number five on their list. Uh, Alonzo was number six. And a uh, big discrepancy in where they think Christian Walker is at. They had Christian Walker at number nine uh, yeah. behind Brandon Belt. So yeah, that was rough. That I was, saw that. That was not the best. Um, so my number four is Paul Goldschmidt. We have him and Diaz uh, flip flops. Um, and yeah, it, it it's a, he's someone where you look at it and it's kind of a complicated conversation because. Uh, you know, he obviously on the surface had a much worse year offensively, but expected numbers wise, it was actually either the same or better. So like underlying numbers had him had him almost better as a offensive player. It's just he didn't have tremendous luck like he did in 2022. Um, and yeah, what I'm saying with that is. His expected batting average and expected slugging actually improved and his expected WOBA was in the 91st percentile and it was the exact same as it was in 2022. And, uh, you know, just looking at the longer term sample over the last two years, he has a 147 OPS plus uh, only negative one fielding run value, uh, which is which basically new has him as a neutral first base defender. He has five defensive runs saved over those last two years, as well as a 49% extra base taken rate and 18 stolen bases in 20 attempts. Uh, That 49% extra base taken rate is around seven percentage points above league average, which is very, very good for a first baseman who's not necessarily known for uh, crazy athleticism. So yeah, it's, I think his underlying numbers suggest that, yeah, he'll be, he'll be a little bit better. Uh, this upcoming year unless age kind of p- plays that role but we haven't really seen any evidence of that um yet it, with his uh with his age and whatnot because he's heading into his age uh 36 season so we haven't seen any evidence of that yet so i can't hold it against him necessarily quite yet um so yeah now on to number three so at number three this is where i put uh bryce harper uh bryce harper played all of 2020 or not began the 2023 season in may uh only a few months post tommy john he made the quickest recovery back to the field for a guy that had just gotten tommy john surgery and what did he do he still put up a 900 ops he still hit the ball at an average of 91.8 miles per hour he still put up a 290 expected batting average for a guy with a uh ironically a 45 percent ground ball rate but uh 
His batted ball metrics were a lot more interesting this year. He did have a high in ground ball rate, a low in fly ball rate, um, for at least not a low since uh, twenty fifteen. That was an, actually an okay season for him too, though. Um, but he also did it while learning a new position for the first time. And you know, I think the reason I don't have him one or two is because I want to see what a full Bryce Harper season at first base looks like. Uh, his defense down last year in comparison to where they've been in previous years, but. Uh, regardless, he is still the hitter that he's been throughout the majority of his career. Um, he's still had a 500 expected slugging, or excuse me, a 530 expected slugging, and only a 500 uh, actual slugging. He still had a 15.2% barrel rate. He still had a 36% sweet spot rate, and he still walked 15% of the time. You know, there is still so much that he is excelling at with with in terms of offense. Um, and he, you know, no matter what he goes through, he still is going to be that guy. Um, I have him as, and yeah, I mean, like I said, first full season at first base this year. I'm interested to see how it goes, but for right now, I do have two first base and above first baseman above him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I also have Bryce Harper number three, um, and MLB Network put him number two. They put him above Matt Olson, and I kind of, I kind of understand where they I are kind of do from. too. Um, but but yeah, just to break down Bryce Harper, he's been consistent with his offense when he's been on the field. Uh, these past two seasons, 146 OPS plus in both 2022 and 2023, which are uh, obviously very good numbers. And what why I say I kind of get where MLB Network is coming from and putting him above Olsen is he has been 97th percentile or higher in expected WOBA each of the last four seasons. So he has been, his quality of contact as well as strikeout and walk rate have been so solid um, each of the past four seasons to put him 97th percentile or higher, um, you know, from 2020 or from the 2020 season on. Uh, also, I'm very I'm pretty optimistic about his defensive ability. He had three outs above average in only 30 games at first base last year. Um, I'm not saying that rate will keep up, but it means that even as at a new position, he was playing positive defense, which is really, really good. And I think those you know defensive runs above average numbers. They went down because obviously when you play first base, um, that value brings it down. And also you played a good bit of DH. So that takes away from your defensive value with the like defensive runs above average and yeah. defensive wins above replacement. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'm optimistic to see, especially for such a good athlete and a guy who I think is heading into only his age 31 season. Uh, like. I think I think there's good things to come defensively at first base, and he seems like someone who would be very willing to adapt to that position and do his best at that position. And then his offensive excellence speaks speaks for itself. Um, I think his I think me putting Olsen above him is less a diss to Harper and more just um, a, an appraisal of what Olsen uh, has been doing and and did last year. Uh, so without further ado, what is your who's your number two first baseman? I mean, I don't even think we needed it without further ado, as if there was any sort of shock value to it. I'm putting Matt Olson at number two. Uh, a lot of this list felt like it really wrote itself. I don't know about you, but this one was, I think, the easiest one to make with the least amount of, uh, you know, going back and forth between guys. Yeah, I mean, there was a clear number one, a clear number two, and to me, a clear number three uh, in, in that order. But yeah, Matt Olson uh, put up a 160 weighted runs created plus last year, uh, and he put up 54 home runs, the most in Atlanta Braves history. By uh, by people that judged 2021 Salvador Perez standards, it was the best season in Braves history. Um, 
if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, 6.7 wins above replacement as a first baseman with rough defense uh, is pretty outstanding. Uh, and it, it came it came for good reason, right? A 557 expected slugging. I know that his actual slugging was a lot uh, higher, but having a 604 expected slugging is very difficult and really something that only Aaron Judge does, and that's kind of it. Um, he's actually a very strong base runner for his position. He has 81st percentile base running value, uh, or that's what he put up last year, and he had 1.5 BSR last year. Uh, so having positive base running metrics from the position is... Uh, is very good, uh, you know, especially in his first, you know, his second year with the Braves, really fully acclimating to Atlanta. Um, you know, he hit the ball very hard. He walked a lot. There's so much, so many things that he did extraordinarily well offensively. Um, and, you know, the 54 home runs, they don't feel like an accident. They, re- they really don't. When you see uh, how hard he hit the ball, when you look at his 34% fly ball rate last year, uh, when you look at the fact that he's a left-handed power hitter in Atlanta, it all makes sense. Um, and it feels like something that he could actually replicate next year. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I have Matt Olson number two as well. Uh, yeah, last year uh, among National League players, he was first in slugging, second in OPS, and he led the entire MLB in home runs in RBI in 2023. Uh, part of that is credited to a big boost in fly ball rate. You mentioned that very high fly ball rate at 34%. Uh, that was a big boost from around 28% back in 2022. Uh, also, his home run to fly ball ratio went up. Uh, so I'm I'm curious to see. I'm curious if like some of his um, expected statistic luck, you know, having the higher slugging than expected slugging and WOBA than expected WOBA had to do with him like choosing the right areas of the ballpark to hit the ball to. Uh, you know, when you're when you're pulling the ball, especially at Truist Park, um, you're just going to have um, better luck in the home run to fly ball ratio uh, standpoint. So I'm curious to see if that'll continue because, yeah, I think I think there's less to be said about expected st- statistics if you're pulling a lot of home runs because uh, expected stats do not account for what direction of the park you're hitting it into. So if you hit, you know, if you hit a a barrel to center field, it's measured the same as a barrel, you know, uh, down the right field line that's going to be that's going to clear the ballpark a lot as opposed to a barrel to center field that you know outfielder goes back a few steps and makes the catch um so those two are measured the exact same in expect statistics as kind of the main flaw with it um although obviously i do like them but nonetheless that's why i'm not looking as deep into the expected numbers with uh with matt olson because that's something i did consider with bryce harper bryce harper had a better expected metrics than matt olson last year um but i think olson there's a little bit more to um to look at there but uh also with matt olson uh he was one of the benefit beneficiaries of the uh, shift rule he had a 115 average on pulled ground balls in 2021 and 2022 and that boosted to 205 in 2023 and uh also with olson uh one of the underrated parts of his game is staying on the field he's only missed six games in the last four years uh and hopefully that continues so uh so yeah now on to number one yeah i mean number one it's freddie freeman uh i'm sure he's your number one as well i'd be pretty disappointed if he wasn't um i mean i don't know it's he's a guy that needs no introduction right like how do you how else are you supposed to talk about freddie freeman being number one other than he pretty much excels at every single aspect of baseball. He hits the ball very hard. Uh, he, you know, he had a he had a ninety 
90 mile per hour average exit velocity last year. Uh, he places the ball extremely well. He had a 46.6% sweet spot rate last year, good for 100th percentile. Even going back through the StatCast era, since 2015, he has a 42.8% sweet spot rate, and the lowest one he's ever had in a season is 37.2%, which is still, like, very, very good. Uh, he's going into age 34 right now, and it still feels like he uh, he still plays doesn't feel like his prime is ending anytime soon in fact it feel like he keeps getting better one thing that he has kept getting better at specifically since he's joined the joined the dodgers has been base running uh he's put up back-to-back five bsr seasons since he started his tenure in la those are the best bsr seasons he's had throughout his entire career uh whatever base running decisions the dodgers are having to make or that he's been making in la They've been the best of his life. He put up 7.9 wins above replacement last year at the first base position. His defense was like moderately fine enough to where it didn't put him down too far. Uh, he still doesn't strike out a lot. He still walks at a good enough amount. He still mixes in power a lot. He had a 235 ISO last year, his highest in a full season since 2019 when the balls were juiced. Uh, there is literally, I don't know what else. I feel like I'm just rambling here, but I mean, there's quite literally not a single thing that Freddie Freeman doesn't really excel at. He even stole 23 bases last year, so you can't even really say that. Yeah, that that was actually pretty crazy. Um, yeah, and by the way, when we're referencing base running runs or BSR, that's just how many uh, runs above or below average, uh, above or below league average that you score for your team through base running, and that's measured a lot through, obviously, stolen bases uh, and the stolen base to caught stealing ratio, as well as uh, extra base taken. So going first to third on singles, first to home on uh, doubles, and second to home on singles. So that's what that's what we're referencing with the lingo. And yeah, I also have Freddie Freeman number one. Um, yeah, I'm a big, big F- Freddie Freeman fan uh, because, yeah, I think, you know, he should get he should get more credit in the, you know, um, one of the best players in baseball conversation. Uh, he's just been he's just been that guy for a little bit here, especially the past two years. Uh, and over the last two seasons, he is second among all players in F4, uh, second among all players in batting runs and extra base hits. And he leads the MLB in hits times on base doubles and total bases uh in in the last two seasons he also has four outs above average in the span he was 23 for 24 in stolen bases last year uh and he has the most base running runs among first basemen in the last two seasons so he's not only been like the best uh hitter among first basemen over the last two seasons he's been the best base runner and and an above average defender so yeah, I think uh, not only is he the best first baseman, he's one of the uh, he's like a top five player in uh, in all of baseball. So yeah, he is uh, he is that guy. Um, yeah, you mentioned the the great batted ball metrics. He also doesn't strike out typically. He also has a strikeout rate usually around fifteen, maybe at most like seventeen percent. Uh, yeah, he's an absolute excellent player. Uh, seems like an, a nice enough dude as well. So. Yeah, um, congratulations, Freddie Freeman, number one, just like MLB Network. Yeah, do we want to go through our top ten again? Y- yes, it is a it is a lot of consensus here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we had the same ten, just like not the same order, but we had the same ten, right? Yes, we did. We did. Yeah. Um, what is your ten through one? 
So my 10th one is Vlad Guerrero Jr., number 10, Vinny Pasquantino, number 9, Tristan Casas, number 8, Pete Alonso, number 7, Paul Goldschmidt, number, or sorry, uh, Christian Walker, number 6, Paul Goldschmidt, number 5, Yanni Diaz, number 4, Bryce Harper, number 3, Matt Olson, number 2, and Freddie Freeman, number 1. Yeah, and my number 10 is Tristan Casas, number 9, Vinny Pasquantino, uh, number eight, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Seven is Pete Alonso. Six is Christian Walker. Five is Yandy Diaz. Four is Paul Goldschmidt. Three is Bryce Harper. Two is Matt Olson. And one is Freddie Freeman. So we had, uh, I think, five, six players in the exact same spots with uh, Pascantino, Alonzo, Walker, uh, Harper, Olson, and Freeman. Um so yeah, it it seems like a fairly easy position to evaluate as opposed to like left field starting pitcher. Those were those are some tough ones. Um and I'm sure we'll have more tough ones upcoming, but yeah, good uh <clears throat> good first base list. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, are we ready to move on to the other side of the infield? Let's do it. This list was a lot harder than first base and one of the harder ones that I think we've done so far. Yeah, third base Third base is interesting, especially considering some of the legacy guys you have there. You have some new covers in there. I think first base was kind of cut and dry in terms of legacy. And there are maybe a couple newcomers, but none that you could say like would be top five guys uh, immediately. But third base, third base is different. So, yeah, uh, we'll get into third base. I'll, I'll start here um, since you started the uh, first list, but I'll start with. My number 10, which is Key Brian Hayes. Um, and uh, Key Brian Hayes, I have him here. He is uh, maybe the best defensive third baseman in baseball. Uh, I would probably I would probably just say it. He I think he is the best third defensive third baseman in baseball, just based off of the off of the numbers. And that is a uh that is a huge thing to say considering the legacy at that position with Matt Chapman, Nolan Arenado, Manny Machado, even Jose Ramirez has had some. Uh, great defense as well but key brian hayes is probably the best defensive third baseman in baseball and i'm very optimistic about what he brought offensively um so to break down the defensive statistics he is second among all fielders in outs above average and first among third basemen and uh why i'm optimistic about him uh offensively is he has had an increase in sweet spot rate and decrease in ground ball rate uh, in both 2022 and 2023 also his fly ball rate increased by 8.5 percentage points this past year uh, his barrel rate nearly doubled his home run total more than doubled and his slugging and ops both jumped over 100 points so he was uh he, i think he had a 105 ops plus um so if he is a if he's an average offensive player while being the best defensive third baseman in baseball he's definitely a top 10 guy for me and that's what i expect to happen um with key with with key brian hayes um who do you have as your number 10 so at number 10 i have a guy that is uh currently a free agent uh looking for his next job it's matt chapman of the performerly of the toronto blue jays uh currently nowhere but uh and i don't know what the market's really been for him he had a very weird and interesting season last year where he was the best hitter in the league in april and then kind of below average from there he outperformed his expected batting average, but got very unlucky in expected slugging because uh, his batting average on ground balls was like very unexpectedly high, but his slugging percentage on fly balls was very unexpectedly low. 
Uh, he had the 100th percentile hard hit rate last year at 56.4%, 93.4% average exit velocity. Uh, so you might wonder, like, how do I, how do I put a guy at 10 that, you know, did that, who had that kind of average exit velocity and that kind of hard hit rate? And the things that kind of bumped him down for me was, one, the luck on ground balls, I think, that, like, upped his stats a little bit and even kept him, like, above average and weighted runs created plus. I feel like we just haven't really seen the defensive seasons that we are used to from Matt Chapman. You know, when he was in those days in Oakland in 2019, 2021, you know, he was a premier defensive you know, player, kind of the way that you just spoke about Key Brian Hayes. And he just hasn't really been that guy in the last couple of seasons uh, with Toronto. And I really want to see it come back. Um, and I, I don't know. I think the bad ball distribution uh, is interesting. Maybe it could be better. Um, I kind of want to wait. I think a lot of the reason I put him at 10 is I really want to wait to see where he goes before I have a true ranking for him. Because if he goes to like Cincinnati or something, I don't think he will. But if he goes to Cincinnati where he'll have a lot more fortune on fly balls, then that's excellent. If he goes to somewhere like, I don't know, Detroit, where I had him going in my free agent project projections, I don't know if I love the fit for him there uh, with the batted ball uh, tendencies. Uh, so Matt Chapman is at 10, although he could be a guy that I think more highly of depending on whatever team he goes on. Right, 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 right. Um, so yeah, now on to my number nine. Uh, I have Isak Paredes. I believe he was on your uh, all MLB underrated team. Um, or yeah, MLB all underrated team. Uh, yeah, Isak Paredes has kind of established himself, especially over the past year. Uh, and going back to the start of 2022, he is seventh among current third basemen in home runs, OPS, and weighted runs created plus, and he is ninth in F4, which, yeah, it makes sense that he would be a top 10 guy. Um, in this span, in the span of two years, 15% of his batted balls have been pulled fly balls, which is the second highest rate out of 204. And 52% of his fly balls have been pulled, which is the highest rate out of 268. And I mentioned the pulled fly balls, um, not to just say a weird thing about him. That's just why, that's just because uh, he has high differences in WOBA and expected WOBA. And that is the main reason is because he pulls a lot of fly balls and therefore his home run to fly ball ratio is above normal. Um, and that makes it so that, you know, because he has a disproportionate amount of pulled fly balls, that's a disproportionate amount of fly balls that are going to shallower ends of the ballpark and heading out of the ballpark, which is why he has a high home run total. And, uh, and you know, those, those batted balls, if they were hit to the straightaway part of um, the ballpark, you know, dead center, those wouldn't be out of the ballpark, which is why a lot of the time he has a higher, um, higher actual numbers than expected numbers, but it's not something I'm concerned with because it just has less to do with him uh, getting lucky on balls in play as opposed to just, you know, hacking the expected number, uh, you know, algorithm or whatever. But, um, but yeah, I have him number nine because he's just been very offensively consistent the past couple of years, especially last year. Um, yeah. Who do you have as your number nine? Now, the beautiful thing about Isaac Paredes is like, you know, it doesn't matter what your expected numbers are. If you just pull as many fly balls as possible, you'll find your way into enough home runs to be an above average hitter. And that's exactly what he does. Because, yeah, I mean, if you look at his expected numbers, you'd be like, wow, this guy's awful. What? Um, but yeah, funny enough, I actually had him as my 11, believe it or not. Um, wow. Yeah. And I think the guy that I put that you didn't put is in my nine. It is Royce Lewis. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I really liked what I saw out of Royce Lewis last year. Uh, I mean, you know, only 58 games in 239 plate appearances, but a 155 weighted runs created plus and 2.4 F4. Uh, that is, I mean, that, I mean, think about if someone put up a 2.4 F4 in 2020, right? That would be around close to MVP status. I mean, what what was Jose Ramirez's F4 in 2020? I think it was around three, maybe. I know it yeah. changed because, uh, because right, because it... yeah, because they changed the the war. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, going back to Royce Lewis, I know his expect his expected numbers were not as good as he put up, but they were still very good. A four eighty one expected slugging percentage, a two sixty five expected batting average, three fifty one expected woba, all of those above average. Every you know, for a guy that has gone through as much as he has throughout all the years to finally get like a real like a full shot in this game and perform to the way he did do that same thing i think really amazed me uh he hit extraordinarily well against fastballs last year he had 339 with an 821 slugging and his expected numbers were still expected batting average with a 719 expected slugging 5.4 run value per 100 and i believe out of every uh, batter to have at least 50 plate appearances on any pitch, Royce Lewis's 5.4 run value per 100 against fastballs was like the second highest or maybe the highest. It was uh, it was very, very far up there. He also hit sliders very well to a value per 100. What that means is that for every 100 of such pitch that he sees, the results that he produced on them produced approximately that many runs for his team, which is outstanding. Uh, there's a lot to like about him. Uh, from what we saw out of him last year, you know, a 20, only a third rate, a 29% fly ball rate is very good. A 25.9% line drive rate is very good. You could ask for, you know, a pop-up rate less than 10 and a half percent, but you know, that's okay. It's not perfect. Uh, I think we saw a lot of good stuff out of Royce Lewis last year. And I really think he has a good chance of translating that into even more uh, going into this year. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and to, uh, increase the validity of the f war like uh dj lemayhew in 2020 he had 2.4 f war which uh he he was an mvp finals that year mm -hmm. um and and was in high consideration for that mvp so yeah it's very high quality level from uh from royce lewis for sure yeah i mean um, that's like i mean i'm not saying he keeps the 162 game pace because that's very hard to do especially with the discrepancies and his expected numbers but if he kept that pace over a full season that's like a six plus win season yeah yeah like that's that's yeah i mean he was you know he played like an mvp contender during the time that he played last year yeah for sure for sure and really helped the twins out down the stretch um number eight is where i have matt chapman you're number 10 um and yeah i mean uh you can you can look at him some different ways he isn't the elite third baseman that you know, we believe he was probably around the 2019, 2021 area. Um, however, still very, very good third baseman. Uh, you know, we would we would both agree on that. He's definitely top 10. Um, in the last two years, he has a 112 OPS plus, five outs above average, but also 14 defensive runs saved. So def defensive runs saved uh, does like him a little bit more. They had him with 12 defensive runs saved last year, um, and he ranks seventh in F4 uh, among current third basemen in the last two seasons. And then along with that, he's heading into his age 31 season. So it's not like uh, we're really anticipating the age is going to is going to really hit him uh, quite yet because he's still pretty much in the prime of his career, or at least where typically 
players primes are in their career um so yeah i don't really have much to say on matt chapman he's kind of a legacy guy um hasn't really emerged but hasn't really dropped off enough uh to leave him off the off the top 10 uh this is where i put one of the legacy third base and i put i put nolan arnato in my number eight uh we saw a lot of premier third basemen struggle through some down years in 2023 we didn't see the best out of manny machado we didn't see the best out of rafael devers we didn't see the best out of jose ramirez but i think the one that really concerns me the most and makes me think maybe this is the guy that he's going to be going forward was nolan arenado he finished last year uh with a 774 ops he finished with uh, actually a a lower uh, expected slugging than his actual slugging by about 25 points uh which i don't love you know he still struck out at a very solid rate he still uh you know swung and missed at a very low rate there's still things that he did pretty well but uh he had his lowest uh swing take uh number since uh since 2013 in a full season uh if you can even you know consider yeah you can consider it that uh he had his lowest defensive runs above average in a season uh in a very long time i'm trying to pull up where exactly it was right now uh it was his lowest defensive runs above average ever in his, in his career at only 3.7 he also had his lowest bsr he obviously had only a 107 weighted runs created plus um you know there are a lot of things that he just didn't do quite well his expected wobo went from the 76th percentile in 2022 to the 42nd percentile his expected batting average was fine. It went from 80th to 69th percentile. His expected slugging went from 78th to 58th. His uh his barrel rate went from 78th to 63rd. Um, or sorry, his barrel went from barrel rate went from 53rd to 38th. That's that's what I meant to say. Um, his strikeout rate did even go down a it go up a little bit. His walk rate went pretty far down from 51st to 28th percentile. Um, his defense is still very good, but it went from 99th percentile outs above average to 89th percentile, which is the low shot since they started tracking it. Um, you know, this this is a hot take to put him at eight, but I really was not impressed with what I saw out of him last year, and I do worry that maybe this could be a trend. Um. Yeah, yeah. It, there's definitely concern there, especially considering I think he's heading into age 33 season. Um. 32 uh yes 33 yeah 33 so you know obviously as the cliche goes wrong side of 30 um especially as a position player um not the best um but you know can't control that so yeah i I definitely understand you know i have arenado uh ranked lower than i would have had him ranked last year as i'm sure most do although Mm -hmm. at number seven i have rafael devers um you know he's been uh, a very he's one of been one of the most consistent offensive third basemen out there uh and just generally speaking where he ranks among third basemen over the last two seasons he is sixth in f war and he ranks top three in hits doubles and home runs and out of current third basemen with 800 plus plate appearances in the last two seasons uh he ranks top three in average slugging and ops uh it's it's worth it's the defense that really uh, puts him down for me. I think he had like negative nine outs above average last year. Um, you know, bad, def- bad defensive run save numbers last year, something we were really optimistic about in 2022. And what made us sort of like the extension uh, when, when he got it was the fact that he 
sort of went from a bad defender to a neutral defender. And I think he's sort of back to that bad defender status. And maybe that, maybe that um, season where he was a neutral defender was maybe a little bit of an outline season, but um, you know, we we're never really quite sure, especially with defensive metrics, they can be um, so wishy-washy, but overall I'm very pleased with how his offense has been, but I think a lot of the guys above him have sort of that similar offense, but are either neutral or very good defensively. Um, but uh, there is a lot of optimism with with his batted ball metrics and the fact that he is still so young heading into his age um, 27 season, I believe. Uh, so, yeah. Um, who do you have at your number seven? Uh, my number seven, I have the guy you put at number 10. I put Key Brian Hayes uh, at mm. seven, I, which I knew was going to be a hot take, but I think... Uh, there's a reason for it. Like you mentioned, he's the best defensive third baseman in baseball, and maybe even like outright the best defensive position player that's not a catcher in baseball. Uh, for how little time he's actually spent at third base, I believe he has like the third highest defensive run saved at the position since like 2017 or something crazy like that. Um, he's been out beyond outstanding defensively at third base, and he put up a three-win season last year as a 101 OP weighted runs created plus hitter, which means in turn, if you could throw up like 120, 125, maybe even 130, we're talking about a guy that is a five to six win player uh, year in and year out, if you can do that. And he is about two aspects away from being that guy. One of them, he's got to walk more. He only walks at a 5.3% 309 uh, on base percentage. It's actually down a couple of points from where he was previously. He walked 8.6% in 2022. That would be a perfectly fine walk rate for him to stay at uh, uh, this year. The other thing that I really want him to do is is do better on his fly balls. Uh, he had a very good fly ball rate last year, 26.2% uh, up. Uh, he went from 17.7% in 2022 up to 26.2% in 2023. The fact that he's making that change is definitely a good sign, but there's one thing he needs to do and he needs to pull them. 18% of his fly balls last year were pulled. That ranks uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, ninth lowest among the 104 batters with at least 100 fly balls in 2024. And he has the power to take a lot of balls out of the yard if he does pull them. He had a 92.2 uh, average exit velocity last year, a 48.3% hard hit rate. So if he pulls enough of those fly balls, if he can up it to like 25 to 30% of his fly balls being pulled, he's going to be a 30 home run hitter while also being uh, one of the best defenders in baseball, or the, sorry, the best defender in baseball, uh, maybe. And that's enough for him to be a five to six win player very consistently. And he's not that far away from it. And I really believe he can get there. I think he can make, he can make strides for it in 2024. Yeah, 100%. Um yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot to be optimistic about. Uh and also another guy, very young, I think, heading into age twenty-six or twenty-seven season, um, and really sort of coming into his own. And and yeah, we didn't see him that good offensively since that, you know, twenty-four game, I guess you yep. could call it rookie season <clears throat> back in yep. um back in twenty twenty. But uh but yeah, like th this is what we were kind of excited about when he was coming up. Uh so now onto my number six, which is where I put uh, the other uh, NL Central third baseman in this conversation, talking about Nolan Arenado. Um, and yeah, he he goes down for uh, a lot of different reasons. 
Uh, he It was a down year on all fronts, I think, as you mentioned. Excluding 2020, he had nine-year lows in wins above replacement, OPS+, plus, defensive runs above average, and base running runs. Those are all the aspects of the game. Uh, and uh, given – and, you know – what still has me at number six sort of is track record. Um, given given that track record, I kind of have to keep him somewhat high on the list. And just looking at the long term, looking at the last two years, he still has a 129 OPS plus with an average of 10 outs above average and defensive runs saved uh, per year. Um, so, you know, I think there's still potential for a bounce back. I mentioned, you know, wrong side of 30, but being 33 years old isn't the worst thing in the world however uh because of that you know because of those nine-year lows and all those statistics i do have to bring them down below a lot of these elite third basemen um so yeah uh who is your number six so at number six uh another guy another legacy third baseman that struggled a bit last year uh, i put manny machado here and his savant page didn't load for me for some reason um but Machado last year put up a 114 weighted weighted runs created plus. Um, you know, his you know, obviously those are all down. It was his lowest weighted runs created plus since 2019. Um he he his defense was still uh very good. You know, I mean he he kept the defensive game where it ha- has been for him the entire career. Uh he his BSR did drop from 3.0 to negative 3.5. Um, and I don't love, I don't love that. Obviously, you know that was that definitely docked him a few points in WAR. Uh, to be fair, I did draft him in F WAR last year, so that's probably a good reason why that happened. Um, but on the batted ball side of things, uh, you know he his expected numbers were right around, uh, what he actually ended up putting up, and it was actually pretty close with what he put up, uh, in some levels in 2022. Um, but, you know I don't think his regression was supposed to be that big. Um, to where he dropped over a hundred points in OPS, uh, but you know he's still a solid hitter. You know, I mean, he put up. I think he's capable of putting up like one twenty five OPS pluses again, uh, while still maintaining that strong defensive play. Uh, yeah, so I, I put him at number six for that reason. Right, right, and I think uh, the base running stuff you might have mentioned. Um, part of that had to do with him hitting into I think twenty ground, uh, twenty double plays. That'll which, probably be it, yeah. Which does bring down the the uh base running value. But yeah, I've been I've been trying to study these these base running metrics. Sometimes they don't make sense, but a lot of the times they there is an understandable way of looking at it. But uh but yeah, so now on to my number five. Uh my number five is Alex Bregman, uh, who is just a guy who's been pretty consistent over these past two years, especially, you know, 2021, he was not healthy and you know didn't have his best year and he's been back to full health and has only missed, I think like he's missed like less than 10 games the last two years, which is a very good sign. Um, he, you know, I don't really have much to say on him. He's just been very consistent at 127 OPS plus over the last two seasons with pretty solid defense. Um, he is fourth in F war among current third basemen in the last two seasons. Only reason I don't have him higher is some of the guys ahead of him. And also there's a kind of a newcomer upcoming in my, uh, in my list. So, uh, but Alex Bregman, number five, like good, like very good offense, pretty solid defense, uh, just a cold, just a cut and dry, like just really good third baseman. Um, who do you have as your number five? So at number five, this is where I put Rafael Devers. You put him at your, was it your eight? Uh, seven. Seven, seven. So we have him a couple places apart. 
Um, you addressed pretty much everything that needed to be said on the defense, so I'll leave that to just what you said. Uh, that's kind of why I didn't have him higher up on the list, but uh, his batted ball profile was still so good last year that I still feel like I need to put him top five above some of the other guys that struggled last year. Uh, his expected slugging was 39 points uh, below, above what his actual slugging was. His expected batting average was 11 points above he still hit the ball hard at a 55% rate. He had a 93-mile-per-hour exit velocity, barreled the ball at a 12% rate. Um, and I really liked uh, you know, his batted ball profile from last year in terms of uh, the types of balls he had. You know, 42% ground ball rate, a 28% fly ball rate, up five points from the last year. Um, and, you know, Fenway can be very weird with, with fly balls. It depends on where you hit it. Uh, that's probably why there were such discrepancies with his slugging and expected slugging. But I like that he's hitting a 20, 28% fly ball rate uh, with with how hard he hits the ball. Um, certainly the defense and, and the base running, you know, you mentioned them and they are what they are. But I still really like uh, what he did from a batted ball perspective this year. I like that he's still not striking out. I like that he walked at a career high rate this year at 9.5%. Um, it feels like Devers could still put up like 900 OPS seasons. I, you know, it feels like it's still somewhere in there. Um, and I really want to see it in this next year. And I think he's more than capable of doing it. Yeah. Devers is, uh, he's, he's an interesting conversation because we've had him in that, like very good category since about even maybe 2019, but definitely 2021 is kind of like, we kind of confirmed him like this is a very good third baseman, but we've been trying, but we've been waiting for him to break that, to break out of that, and get to that great to that elite third baseman level um and that's still very possible to come uh in his age 27 season and as he gets into his late 20s so um you know as a red sox fan i'm definitely hoping for that he's also one of my favorite players on the red sox so definitely hoping for that uh but yeah now on to my number four this is where i have manny machado um i i definitely i think i showed more love to the legacy guys than you did i think i had yeah, Chapman, um, Arenado, and Machado. I each had oh, two I... spots above um, where you had them. So uh, with Manny Machado, um, I I think a lot of it is track record. We know he's he's just kind of had a peak and valley career, generally speaking. So I, I feel like he can definitely bounce back. Um, of note with Manny Machado is that his OPS did drop 116 points last season. Um, and a lot of that, had to do with his batted ball luck being more normal than the year before. There were a lot, there was a lot less discrepancy with his uh, actual numbers and expected numbers, but still over the course of the past couple of years, a 136 OPS plus uh, with an average of 10 outs above average per year, like an elite defender, one of the best defenders uh, according to outs above average. However, defensive run saved has him fairly neutral. So I'm not sure what to think on that. Um, but overall, uh, I think he's due to, bounce back a little bit offensively maybe not be back to that mvp finalist level but uh maybe get that ops back over uh over 800 over 800 while having uh some high outs above average and he's another guy where he's sneaky young like he's still only uh heading into his age 31 season i believe so um age is not something to necessarily worry about with main machado um all right now on to your number four yeah, my number four, this is where I put Alex Bregman. You had him, you mentioned him earlier in your five, I think. Um, and what I love about Alex Bregman is that he is a guy that knows how to play his ballpark. 
you know, he's not a guy that hits the ball super hard. His average exit velocity last year was only 88.6 miles per hour. And that's kind of on par with, with where it's been throughout his entire career. Uh, he's never actually had an exit velocity above 90 miles per hour in his career. He's always been, you know, that 88 to 89 range, which is like a little below average, a little at average, uh, something like that, right? But uh, but when you're a right-handed hitter in Houston, you have the Crawford boxes. Uh, you have a lot of good resources uh, that you can use to your ability. And what does Alex Bregman do? He pulls the ball at a 40% rate every year. He hits a fly ball rate around 30% every year, and that maximizes that potential. You sort of mentioned the same concept with Isak Paredes earlier, uh, and that's what Alex Bregman does. He hit 23 home runs in 2022, and he hit 25 in 2023. You know, I really like the way that he uses Houston to his advantage. I believe all his home runs last year were pulled, uh, so you know it makes sense when you when you look at it that way. He's also a guy that doesn't strike out and walks a lot. Uh, his career strikeout rate and walk rate are only 0.6% apart. Uh, I would love to see him get to a point where his career walk rate is higher than his career strikeout rate. Uh, it's difficult to do, but still, uh, it's it's very possible. And on the, on top of that, he's still a solid defender. Um, he's above average in terms of outs above average. He's above average in terms of defensive runs above average. Uh, his base running has slipped a little bit in the in the recent years, but you know there's still so much that he's he's been very good at. Uh, and yeah, Alex Bregman, you know, he uses that ballpark to his advantage. Yes. Uh, yeah. Shout out to Alex Bregman. He's, he's one of the, he was one of the easier guys to evaluate here just because mm -hmm. of, you know, he did, he didn't really have any, I feel like a lot of these players had much different uh, 2023s than they had 2022s. Whereas Bregman, it was kind of like, he's, he's had the same two, two years in a row, which have been very high quality. Um, so yeah, now on to the top three. And uh yeah, I was wondering what how this take would be perceived, but I'm I imagine unless you have him off the list, you also have him in the top three. But this is where I put Gunnar Henderson, uh, who I have number three third baseman in baseball, uh, because he was not he was uh number three among third basemen in F4 last season, and he was second among third basemen in F4 in the final. 100 games of his 2023 season uh, in those final 100 games, he slugged 534 and had an 856 OPS and he ranked second in slugging uh, and he ranked second among third basemen in slugging in that 100 game span. Um, what is the difference maker for me with Gunnar Henderson, as opposed to uh, Machado Bregman Arenado for me is the base running. Uh, he had a, 61% extra base taken rate and 5.2 base running runs. And that, uh, and those base running runs ranked top 25 in baseball and top two among third basemen, uh, behind only Jose Ramirez. So yeah, Gunnar Henderson, uh, I think he has around the same, I expect around the same, uh, production at the plate as guys like maybe Machado Bregman and Arenado but he is far above them in base running it. You know, he, his extra base taken rate was probably around 20 percentage points above all of them. Uh, and also that defense is fairly solid defensive run saved, like him a little bit more than uh, outs above average, but even outs above average had him as a neutral defender, which has its own value. Uh, so yeah, that's why, that's where I have Gunnar Henderson. What do you have as your number three? We agree on this one. I also put Gunnar Henderson. Yeah. I thought it was going to be a hot take as well. 
Um, turns out we're just too we're just too similar. We think too alike, just like always. Yeah, I put Gunnar Anderson in my three. The base running was kind of a big factor for me, but there was also a lot more. Um, yeah, I mean he did extremely well in his rookie season, and it feels like there's more to come with him going into his age twenty three season. Uh, he hit the ball at a ninety two percent hard or ninety two percent ninety two mile per hour exit velocity. Excuse me, a fifty two percent hard hit rate barreled the ball very well all of his expected numbers lined up with what he actually did last year and yeah 5.2 bsr a 61 percent extra base taken rate like you mentioned solid defensive numbers and he did mostly play shortstop last year or no sorry he did actually uh he did play technically mostly third last year 84 games the third 83 at shortstop uh so you know i mean between the two you know i don't know how much of the defensive stuff was based on what he did at shortstop versus how much was done at third base but you know, I mean, it was enough for him to put up solid numbers uh, on the defensive runs above average side of things. Uh, I would like to see him strike out a little less. You know, he did strike out 25% of the time last year, but it was his rookie season. You know, I mean, he was still very much adjusting to major league pitching, but, uh, you know, in, in some ways you wouldn't have noticed it uh, with, with how he was doing last year. Obviously, rookie of the year, uh, a pretty, pretty unanimous rookie of the year at that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there was no doubt in my mind that, Gunnar Anderson was going to be on this list when I made it. I kind of, as I went into it, I thought, you know what? I would take him above Arnado. I would take him above Machado. I would take him above Devers. I would take him above Bregman. Uh, and yeah, I, I ended up putting him in my three as well. Yeah, right, right. And also there's a lot of value to be had with a guy going into his age 23 season, already putting up these numbers. Yep. It um, feels like he can only get better and also worth noting uh, his strikeout rate was above 30% in April, uh, May, and June of last year. And then in July, it went down to 19.8%. August, it went down to 21%. September, 23%. So uh, he actually, like, you could kind of see in real time on his strikeout rate by month graph, like, when he really started to figure things out. And the results that he put up, like, kind of followed as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, 534 slugging in those final 100 games of the season for him. Um, that that like last two thirds of the season success kind of pushed me over the edge for him where it's like, mm-hmm. OK, this is and it, it would be different if if the guy was in his you know sixth or seventh MLB season and he had a good end of the year as opposed to a guy who that was his rookie year and he only got better throughout the season. So that's something that's when you're projecting for 2024, that's something to be very optimistic about, especially for someone uh, so young and so early in their career. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's anything. I don't think it's crazy to put them top three. That's why I put them top three uh, On to number two um, where, you know, there, there's a definitely a, a debate to be had between one and two, especially based on uh, what these two did last year. But at my number two, uh, I have Austin Riley, uh, who, yeah, definitely, I think unquestionably is a top two third baseman in the game. You could argue, I, I think there's a solid argument to have him be the best third baseman in baseball. Um, but Not I have another, you, I have a, I have another guy uh, above <laughs> him that I'll that I'll talk about. But with Austin Riley, um, he has been very consistent offensively. Uh, he has a 134 OPS plus over the last two years. Also, over the last three years, he has the fourth most barrels in baseball. Barrels are mostly very, very hard hit fly balls. And so that is very good to have. And when you're talking about the company, he's behind in those barrels. 
Uh, I mentioned there's three ahead of him. Those three are Aaron Judge, Shohei Otani, and Gordon Alvarez, and then it's Austin Riley. Uh, that's how good he is at hitting hard fly balls. Uh, along with that, Austin Riley has been 85th percentile or higher in expected slugging and expected Woba each of the last three seasons. Um, so that that just shows you the consistency he has offensively. And it's not just expected numbers. His actual numbers are also very, very good. And then on defense, defensive run saved really likes him. Uh, outs above average is very iffy on him. So I guess that nets him to be a fairly, I don't know, positive defender or neutral defender. Um and also he's a fairly neutral base runner. Uh, so with that, like he's just, you know, uh, a very good offensive or a very, very good at the plate will be neutral at all other aspects. That's very valuable to have. Uh, and he also ranks third in F4 among third basemen over the last two seasons. And he was first in F4 among third basemen last year. Uh, who is your number two third baseman? Yeah, my number two third baseman is also... Austin Riley, kind of just adding to what you said, he actually just had his best base running season in 2023. He had an 85th percentile base running run value. It's the highest he's ever had on Baseball Savant. He had a 2.1 BSR on Fangraphs. It's the first time that he's ever even netted positive, let alone put up two uh, in a season. So, I mean, he was excellent there. He put up his highest defensive runs above average season. Uh, He put up a fine enough uh outs above average 46 percentile he was a net zero on outs above average so uh you know i mean not not weighing him down not bringing him up but fine enough but his batted ball profile was excellent last year as it kind of has been every year now uh you know he he hits the ball extremely well uh in terms of exit velocity in terms of batted ball direction you know i like that he has a 38 percent pull rate and a 37 percent straight away rate Um, You know, he has a low ground ball rate, a high fly ball rate, which is perfect for the way he hits the ball. Uh, You know, the only thing he could do a little better maybe is hit fastballs. You know, he had negative two run value against four seamers last year, but uh, that's because he had a 29.7% whiff rate on them. But, uh, and that's kind of what kept him out of my number one, but still a very, very good hitter. Um, You kind of mentioned everything that needed to be said. Uh, So, Chris, why don't you talk to us about Jose Ramirez? Jose Ramirez, yeah, he is my to the surprise of no one. He is my number one <laughs> to third base. Surprise of no one. Um, but yeah, it's it's for good reason. Every everything. He's also he's also a lock for your twenty twenty five uh top or top one third baseman, and you you sign you sign like a three year contract. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, to to put him number one for the next three years. He'll he'll have like an eighty OPS plus next year, and I'm like, nah, he's, <laughs> he's number one. Um, but no, yeah, he's, uh, Jose Ramirez, you know, I still stand by, I think most underrated player in the game right now, uh, just doesn't get the respect he deserves and probably, probably won't in this, uh, in like the MLB network lists. He'll probably be like number three, uh, on this list next year. But, uh, with, uh, with Jose Ramirez, why I have him number one, he leads all third basemen in F4 BSR and stolen bases over the last two seasons. Um, and that is because he has a 139 OPS plus, uh, 53% extra base taken rate and averages four outs above average and 24 stolen bases uh, per year in the last two seasons. Uh, Also in this past season, he was 80th percentile or higher in both expected Woba and expected slugging. He's also 
the leader among third basemen in F4 in the last three years, in the last four years, in the last five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten years. Uh, that is how good he he is. If you if you're looking at the most F4 by a third baseman since uh, 2020, it's Jose Ramirez. If it's since 2014, it's also Jose Ramirez. If it's since 2016, it's also Jose Ramirez. Uh, and this is a guy who's also only heading into his age 31 season. So it's not like there's any signs age-wise that he's supposed to taper off. Uh, so yeah, he is, uh, he's just, he has the track record and also the recent success. So uh, no reason for me to put him uh, below number one this year. Also put him at number one. And my analysis on why I have him number one was never going to do, do it the way you did in terms of just how, how well I can convey it. So I'm going to take a bit of a different angle and kind of just talk about why I'm excited to watch Jose Ramirez this year in particular. We're about to talk about Hall of Fame, Chris, with Chase Utley's, uh, with Chase Utley's bubble case and with our ballots. And what I've stressed on this podcast is my philosophy for evaluating players is 50 war. I need to see 50 war on baseball reference or fan graphs before I can even evaluate your case. And Jose Ramirez is on pace to hit those numbers this year. He has 46.7 F4, which means he needs 3.3 F4 uh, to reach it this year on fan graphs. And on baseball reference, he's at 45.6, which means he needs about 4.6 B War uh, in a season to hit it. And he's only turning 31 this year. Uh, and I'm very excited to see, you know, what Jose Ramirez's stats are going to look like by the end of his career if he keeps up this pace, because... We could, I could see him as a 65 to 70 war guy. I could see him as, uh, you know, I know this sounds crazy, but among like the, the people that like look at the statistics and no ball, no ball, no ball, uh, a first ballot hall of famer. Um, I'm not saying he's going to get it, but the people that know are going to vote, vote him in, uh, to that rate. Uh, the only thing is probably not is the answer, but, uh, Jose Ramirez is going to go down as uh, one of the all-time third basemen if he keeps up this pace from a numbers standpoint. He might not have the the accolades and the recognition to show for it, uh, but he's you know he's going to be that guy by the time it's all over for him. Yeah, for sure. One of the things that like 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 uh, with Manny Machado and like Bryce Harper, Jose Ramirez is like you think he's older than he is because he's been playing for so long but he's still only heading into his age 31 season. So that makes his hall of fame case even more exciting. And it, that makes his current state in the game even more exciting because you assume, Oh, this guy's been kind of a, an elite guy since maybe 2016, 2017. He must be, you know, maybe heading into his mid thirties, but no, he's been, he's only, uh he's only in his age 31 season upcoming. So there's a lot of potential for what he can bring, um, you know, with, with count statistics and whatnot, like just looking at his, where he is actively like he could easily get he's easily on pace to get like 500 career doubles uh he could potentially get like 400 home runs um i'm not sure he'll get to 400 stolen bases but definitely 300 uh and i could like with the pace he's at he could have similar like career statistics to carlos beltran um that's just how we've analyzed him the past uh couple years like very similar numbers to those with maybe even better rate statistics. Uh, so yeah, very, very exciting um, with Jose Ramirez. So yeah, those if are all you, the, um, if those he all the ever rankings. makes it to the hall of fame, I want you in Cooperstown for that. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to make it out with all there's 
recorded evidence of, of me really enjoying Jose Ramirez. So I gotta mm-hmm. I gotta I gotta put I gotta put my money where my mouth is there. Yeah. Um so yeah, those are the positional rankings for this week. Uh we did first baseman and third baseman. Next week is, is I believe catchers and shortstops. I also believe that because I think we close out with relief pitchers and second baseman. That is correct. Yeah. Catchers and shortstops we got next week. Um, shortstop position should be pretty exciting this year. Uh, it's got some got some good blood over there, uh, yeah. and it's just become one of the premier positions in baseball. Uh, you know, obviously defensively already get naturally with the shortstops, but also offensively, lots of offensive talent there. So that shall do it for positional rankings, and now we will get into the Hall of Fame bubble case of the week. Uh, we've done, uh, this is our third one this year, but our 13th overall, uh, go check out the YouTube playlist with all the bubble case breakdowns, including, uh, I think there's maybe like six or seven guys on the current ballot that we've done a bubble case for. Um, so yeah, shout out to, uh, shout out to all that, but it is uh chase Utley this week who you, uh, you are very, very passionate about his hall of fame case. Yeah, that's right. So in terms of where chase Utley's at right now, he's in his first year on the ballot. And uh, he is debuting on a really, really tough ballot to debut on. He is, uh, you know, one of the, yeah, yes, one of the premier uh, first years, but, you know, Joe Maurer and Adrian Beltroy have understandably gotten a lot more attention. As of right now, as we're recording this, he is at 42.9% of the vote with 47.9% of the vote in. I'm hoping we can see him get around 35 to 40% of the vote uh, when, when it does get revealed on Tuesday. Um, I think that'd be a good debut for him. Uh, and I'll talk I'll talk more about like the status of this vote and what it means for him later. But um I'll start with this on the service stats so we can go uh we can go two two at a time, I guess, here. Uh so Chase Utley as a second baseman had sixty four point five career baseball reference wins above replacements, and also sixty one point six Fangraphs wins above replacements. He had a forty nine point three Peak wins above replacement, which is 4.9 above the average Hall of Fame second baseman. And just looking strictly offensively at the plate, uh, he's for his career, he slashed 275, 358, 465, 817 for a 117 OPS plus and 118 weighted runs created plus, which puts him uh, 17% and 18% respectively above uh, league average for, for, uh, for his career and that took place over the course of 7,863 plate appearances and then as far as career uh, count statistics go on the offensive side of things he had 1,885 career hits 259 home runs 1,025 RBI 154 stolen bases 724 walks and 411 doubles yeah, just like a little correction here. He had an 823 OPS, not an 817 OPS. My bad. I'm the one that wrote that. Um, he had 51.3 offensive war and 17.3 defensive war for his career. And sort of going into his uh his other aspects of the game, he had 104.2 defensive runs above average and 76.2 BSR, which is a lot. It is quite a bit, quite a bit. And we'll get we'll get more into what that kind of means uh later on. So in terms of accolades, Chase Utley was a six-time All-Star, four-time Silver Slugger, and also a 2008 World Series champion. And in the postseason, 
uh, he ha- he had his moments, uh, but overall he hit 224 with a 774 OPS in 258 career postseason plate appearances. And in the World Series, he had 56 plate appearances and seven home runs. So one out of eight, every eight World Series plate appearances for uh, Chase Utley was a home run, which is uh, pretty extraordinary. Yeah, so now looking at comparisons, Chase Utley is one of a few players with 60 to 65 baseball reference wins above replacement and 7,500 to 8,000 plate appearances. The other ones are Mark McGuire, a guy that probably would have been voted into the Hall of Fame with his track record if not for his ties with PEDs. Uh, He peaked at 23.7% on the ballot that he maxed out on. Uh, Jim Edmonds, who was a first ballot drop, although a guy that a lot of people have kind of agreed uh, probably deserved more of a chance. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt, a guy that we mentioned earlier, if Paul Goldschmidt retired right now, I think a lot of people would think he's a Hall of Famer, and he's there uh, entering his age 36 season in 2024. Uh, Billy Hamilton, not the red center fielder from about a decade ago, but a Veterans Committee Hall of Famer with over 900 career stolen bases. And Jack Glasscock, another uh, first ballot drop from the dead ball era, uh, a guy that a lot of dead ball historians think deserved a better shot at the Hall of Fame. Yeah, correct. Correct. He he does have a, he did have quite a track record. Um, with uh with the other comparison to compare, um, his league adju- league and park adjusted uh, offensive statistics compared to some others uh, that had his longevity, uh, players with a one fifteen to one twenty OPS plus in seventy five hundred to eight thousand plate appearances, uh, those are those players are Sean Green, who is a first ballot drop, Justin Upton, who. Uh, who has not played since 2022, Del Ennis, who is a second ballot drop, George Hendrick, who is a first ballot drop, uh, Phil Cavaretta, who maxed out on ballots. Um, and those are the players. However, it can be tricky to compare his OPS plus uh, and longevity compared to other players because uh, those other players d- did not have the defensive nor base running pedigree that Chase Utley had, which is why Chase Utley has nearly 30 more baseball reference wins above replacement than everyone else on that uh, list I just previously mentioned. So we'll start by providing a case against Chase Utley, and a lot of it is a lot of general uh, kind of basic surface level things. Uh, Chase Utley never finished top five in MVP voting, and he only finished top 10 three times. Uh, And he only finished top, he never finished top five in OPS plus among position players in any season. Uh, and he only finished top 10 twice. And uh, one of the main arguments against Chase Utley is that longevity and not hitting those traditional Hall of Fame milestones, whether it be, you know, obviously didn't get close to 3,000 hits nor 2,000 hits. Uh, Also, you know, didn't get 300 home runs or like 500 doubles or even 200 stolen bases. Uh, There has not been a player to retire after 1976 and get into the hall of fame with less than 2000 hits. So it's just something that traditionally is put against guys, uh, which it could go against, could go in the case against uh, Chase Utley. He also never won a gold glove at second base, which is a, you know, defense primary position. You know, a lot of good defenders are at second base. It's definitely more known for defense than offense, especially in that era. And Chase Utley never won a gold glove there. And also his career baseball reference wins above replacements and Jaws, which is the Jay Jaffe uh, Hall of Fame evaluator. Uh, They are both below the average Hall of Fame second baseman. 
Yeah. And then uh, the last point, uh, if you haven't been on social media for a good bit here, um, he does, does the Mets fans do not think he should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, they've said it countless times. So I think that goes in the case against Chase Utley is he does not have the approval of the of the Mets fandom. Yeah, and I'm sure he probably won't have the New York. I don't know if the New York Post has done their group reveal yet. I know they usually do. I'm sure it won't be very nice to him if they have. Yes. Uh, but to be yes. fair, I also think it won't be nice to most people that are not named Adrian Beltre. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. It can be tough. It can be tough for sure. Yeah. Um. So now on to the case for Chase Utley, uh, which you know we're we're a little bit more in line with. Um, and we'll get into that with the uh with the ballot reveals when we do. Um, but uh, the case for Chase Utley, there's a lot to get into there. Uh, his peak wins by replacement is a good amount above the above average for a Hall of Fame second baseman. Never mind regular second baseman, but for a Hall of Fame second baseman, his even his peak WAR is a good amount above average. It was I think uh four or five above uh average for uh, you know the best seven years of his career. Um and uh, last that point I'll get into before I hand it off to you is his career extra base taken rate was fifty four percent. Uh, we mentioned, you know, league average is usually around like 40 at, at, at its peaking point, it was around 45%, but in Utley's era, it was around 40%. For reference, Ricky Henderson's, uh, Ricky Henderson's extra base taken rate was 55%, which is only one percentage points, one percentage point above Chase Utley's. Lou Brock's was 53%. And then going to the more elite base runners of Utley's time, Jose Reyes's extra base taken rate was 49%. Jimmy Rollins's was 47%. And Ichiro's was only 41%. And that's why Chase Utley's base running value was so high despite lower stolen base numbers is he went first to third a lot on singles. He went uh, first to home a lot on doubles. He went uh, second to home a lot on singles, uh, which brought his extra base taking rate to 40, uh, 54%, which is only one percentage point below Ricky Henderson's uh, career extra base taking rate. Yeah, and going more into base running metrics, 87.5% uh, career stolen base rate. He had 154 career stolen bases to only 22 caught stealings. Uh, just to give you how an idea of how good 87.5% is, Ricky Henderson's career stolen base rate was 80.7%. Lou Brock's was 75.3%. Jose Reyes's was 80.2%. Jimmy Rollins, his teammate, was 81.7%. And Ichiro's was 81.3%. So Chase Utley was at least 6% above all of those guys in terms of stolen base rate, um, which is just remarkable. Um, and again, going normally this is something we kind of put in the case against, but uh, it's here for Chase Utley. He finished top three among position players in baseball reference wins above replacement in five seasons. Uh, from 2005 through 2009, he finished top three every single year, uh, which is legitimately very remarkable and not something that you see very often. Yes, absolutely. And, and in that peak, uh, extending it from 2005 to 2010, Chase Utley trailed only Albert Pujols in F4 which is, you know, the whole package statistics. And that's because Chase Utley had a 133 OPS plus, uh, 59% extra base taken rate and average 20 defensive runs saved per year from 2005 to 2010, which is a six-year span. It's a pretty long time to be the second best player in baseball. 
And yeah. along with that, uh, he had five seven-win seasons on baseball reference. There are six other players with exactly five such seasons, and all are Hall of Famers except for Shoeless Joe Jackson. He's the only other guy who had exactly five seven-win seasons who did not get into the Hall of Fame. So going into some more uh, stats that set Chase Utley apart with a bunch of other Hall of Famers, Chase Utley had five seasons with 600-plus plate appearances, a 900 OPS, and 7-plus baseball reference wins above replacement. That means he took a lot of at-bats, had very good rate statistics, and replacement, which is, you know, 7 is very hard to accumulate in a single season. And like I mentioned, it's him and 20 other people that have at least five of such seasons. And let me just go through this list of the 20 others. I know that it's going to be a very long list, but bear with me here. It is Willie Mays, Barry Bonds, Hank Aaron, Lou Gehrig, Stan Musial, Babe Ruth, Albert Pujols, Alex Rodriguez, Rogers Hornsby, Mike Trout, Mike Schmidt, Eddie Matthews, Ted Williams, Mel Ott, Tris Speaker, Mike Cobb, Wade Boggs, Frank Robinson, Mickey Mantle, and Chase Udley. That, those are all, I mean, I know not all of them are Hall of Famers, Barry Bonds, Albert Pujols, Alex Rodriguez, Mike Trout, but those are inner circle greats in baseball. Like those are like saying that they're Hall of Famers doesn't do it enough justice to say how good they truly were at baseball. You can make if I threw out 20 baseball players right there and said, hey, these are my 20 best players of all time. I don't think there's a lot of guys that you're like, wait a minute, what about that guy? Yeah, for sure. And Chase Sudley sure. is right there in the mix with them. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, so there's that. That's one of my favorite statistics that I found when doing this research. And then another one, uh, he is one of six second basemen to have five seven-war seasons on baseball reference. The other five are Rogers Hornsby, Naplejoie, Eddie Collins, Joe Morgan, and Charlie Geringer, all of which are slam dunk Hall of Famers. Yes, 100%, 100%. And then to kind of dive in a little bit more... um, Deeply with some separate statistics combining. He is one of five players with five or more seasons with four plus offensive war and two plus defensive war. Uh, the other five or the other four players to do that are Cal Ripken Jr., George, Joe Gordon, Gary Carter, and Lou Boudreau, who are all also Hall of Famers. And then looking at his individual 2008 season, his 2008 is one of five seasons in MLB history with six plus offensive war and three and a half plus defensive war. And the only other players to ever put up such a season are Cal Ripken Jr., Ernie Banks, and Rogers Hornsby. And no one has had such a season. No one else has had such a season since 1991. So going into his uh, his base running and his offense, Ricky or uh, Chase Udley is one of five players in baseball history to put up a career. 115 plus weighted runs created plus which means for his career he was 15 percent above the average hitter and a 70 plus base running runs uh, or bsr as it's called the other four players to have those metrics are ricky henderson tim raines billy hamilton the old one and joe morgan who are all hall of famers and he is one of just four second basemen to have six plus seasons with 15 home runs and a 375 on base percentage. The other three second basemen to do so six times or more are Rogers Hornsby again, Craig Biggio, and Joe Morgan again. Once again, all of them Hall of Famers. 
Correct, correct. And he is one of three players uh, in uh, in baseball history with 150-plus batting runs, uh, 125-plus fielding runs, and 40-plus base running runs. The other two are Barry Bonds and Willie Mays, which is pretty extraordinary. Uh, also, the fielding runs doesn't even con- uh, the fielding runs has hasn't even considered uh, the fact that that doesn't include uh, that that doesn't include the positional value, which uh, second base has a high positional value. So the fielding runs even make it more impressive uh, with those numbers. And uh, we mentioned like the 76 BSR that correlates a lot to that extra base taken rate that we talked about previously, uh, you know, didn't have the highest stolen base numbers, but when he did steal, it was, it was, he was successful seven out of eight times, literally, which is a very, very high rate. And then he took the extra base uh, on other people's hits 54% of the time, which was like 14 percentage points above league average for a career, which is really, really high, um, which is why his base running, uh, you know, lore is, is so, um, is so valuable and, and is, is why those numbers are so high. Yeah. So I want to talk about some of the ways the writers have continuously gotten it wrong with Chase Utley throughout his career and why I think that, uh, if, if the current sabermetric knowledge existed back in the, uh, mid aughts and late aughts, Chase Utley would have a much stronger hall of fame case among the writers. So in 2005, uh, Chase Utley put up a 291, 376, 540 slash line for a 915 OPS, uh, the start of his his peak, where he put up a 7.3 B-War season. And he got 13th in the MVP voting, despite having the fifth highest wins above replacement uh, among everyone that got MVP votes in the National League that year. Um, and you can say, you know, well, well, war is not the end-all be-all and people don't look at it. You're right. People definitely didn't look at it in 2005 because it didn't really exist back then. But with the current way that MVP is voted on, I promise you Chase Elliott would have done much better than 13th in that vote. He would have been, you know, at least top 10, maybe even top five. Uh, And then going into 2006, and I'm going to go through every single one of these years, by the way, because uh, this is this needs to be said. He got tied for seventh with Jose Reyes in the MVP. VP vote that year. He slashed 309, 379, 527 for a 906 OPS and another 7.3 uh, B-War season. He was third among all NL vote getters uh, in the in in B-War that year with 7.3 behind only Albert Pujols, who finished second, and Carlos Beltran, who finished fourth. They actually got it a little closer this year, but even still, he should have done better than tied for seventh uh, in that season. They gave it to Ryan Howard that year, who... Uh, had two less B-War. Uh, and, you know, he did hit 58 home runs, and that's pretty cool and all, but uh, I think that vote would have gone a lot differently today. You know, Matt Olson probably would have won MVP in the National League this year. Uh, I think there's a fair chance. At least second. <clears throat> or at least done better. I don't know. They might have still given it to Acuna with the with the stolen bases and stuff. Uh, but right. then going into 2007, uh, another one, Chase Utley had the third highest uh, wins above replacement among vote-getters in the National League, uh, behind only Albert Pujols and David Wright. Uh, David Wright had the... Sa- By the way, if you're a Mets fan listening to this, David Wright had the uh, second-highest B-War and got fourth. He should have done better than fourth. Chase Utley had the third-best and got eighth. He had a 976 OPS plus, or OPS that year, uh, one of the best throughout this span. 
And then 2008, this is the this is the egregious one. This is the most outrageous uh, vote that Chase Sudley had to be had to partake in. Chase Sudley put up a nine win season. This was that season that I mentioned with six and a half offensive wins above replacement and three defensive revens- defensive wins above replacement. He put up a 292, 385, 535 for a 913, 915 OPS. Uh, he had the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ninth highest OPS in the National League, uh, including Manny Ramirez, who who played uh, 53 games in the NL that year. And he finished 14th in MVP voting. He should have gotten second in that vote. He got 14th. Uh, and then 2009, the final year that I will discuss here, uh, where he finished eighth in the MVP vote, despite being uh, second again in in B-War at 8.2. Uh, so Chase Sudley would have had much better MVP voting results if the votes had taken place today, which is why I don't agree with using accolades from 15 years ago to discuss if a guy's a Hall of Famer today, because... It's the same writers that got it wrong back then that are now deciding right now, based on their own previous work, whether he should be a Hall of Famer or not. And the same thing goes for Gold Gloves. We talked a lot about his defense uh, in this case and why his defense stands up with a lot of Hall of Famers. And he was never given a Gold Glove. Again, that's the writers deciding that someone else deserved it more. Chase Utley was definitely a lot more deserving in many of those years. And if we had modern statistics, he would have been given a lot more Gold Gloves. Yeah, it's a it's a great point to make of of not evaluating uh, not evaluating how we viewed a player 15 years ago because mm-hmm. you know i think everyone would agree that we have looked at players a lot we look a, a lot we look at players a lot differently in 2023 than they do than we did back in 2008 you know or when at least prime was and uh some people think that's for the worst some and i, th- I would say most people would agree that it's for the better so evaluating based on what the writers viewed utley as in in 2008 is is you know it's it's a it's a little bit myopic and you know you you should evaluate based on how we view him now because you know those numbers aren't changing and we just have the information now and it's more organized now and we can understand why chase utley was such a valuable player now uh, along with a variety of other players, you, you know, we can make that same case with guys like Andrew Jones, Todd Helton, Bobby um, Abreu is another one, Bobby Abreu. Like we can, we can do that now. Uh, so let's use those tools and and let's, let's evaluate these guys properly now because we have that chance and it actually means a little bit more now than those MVP votes did. So, uh, so yeah, that's um yeah. And there is just so much public data that we have access to now as fans that we didn't have access to five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, uh, right? And, you know, in that case, like, that's why I don't like using accolades to judge someone's Hall of Fame case in general, because it's like, you know, why would I make, why would I judge someone's Hall of Fame case based on what someone else thought of them 15 years ago when I can decide? Hey, I judge, I judge people's Hall of Fame cases based on who they were rather than who someone else thought they were that's the right way to go about it especially with the dramatic change that we've seen in player evaluation uh, over the last 15 years yeah i mean juan gonzalez finished top five in mvp four times and i think Mm -hmm. we could all agree that maybe that was that was a bit of a, a, a a bit of a jump in how we should have evaluated so 
that's those are the types types of seasons we're talking about when we're comparing these guys. So, so yeah, I mean the the conversation of evaluating players has changed so much in the last fifteen years. So we can't we can't use those two thousand five to two thousand nine MVP evaluations um, really with much with more than a grain of salt. So yeah, I think, I think that's, and there's so many different um, players we could use that argument with um, today. So, and Utley is probably the most extreme, extreme example of that. Uh, yeah. Anything more for the uh, Chase Utley case? Uh, I think let's just get into ballot reveals. I've been waiting for this for a while. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Excited about this. Um, a lot of I did not I change. forgot to make my order of how passionate I am about everyone. Uh I'm just gonna reveal them in alphabetical order. Yeah, sounds good. Um I've been signed out of my Google Docs, oh. so I need to sign back in to get my ballot. Yeah, and also I think just uh going into Chase Sadley, we'll keep we'll keep this in the uh in the episode about his uh his Hall of Fame case, but this is a very, very difficult ballot to debut on, as I mentioned. And he's probably going to get around, hopefully, like 35 to 40%. He might dip a little bit below 35, and that's fine. Uh, because halfway to 75, right, 32.7%, I think, is around, is like halfway to 75. Uh, What, 37.5? No, I think it'd be less than that. I think it'd be 37.5, yeah. So he's going to be... He's probably going to be just shy of halfway to 75% with nine years to go. And most ideally, most ideally, five guys leaving the ballot this year. Gary Sheffield, we know, is leaving the ballot. Adrian Beltre is 99% leaving the ballot. And I think there's a strong chance that Joe Maurer, uh, Todd Helton, and Billy Wagner are all leaving the ballot. There's going to be two first-years on next year's ballot that have a very strong Hall of Fame case. One is Ichiro Suzuki, who's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, and one of them is CeCe Sabathia, who I also think will be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but his case probably won't be as strong as Ichiro's. This year, I'm hoping that Carlos Beltran gets to around 60%, because that would give him about a 13% gain from last year. And I hope Andrew Jones gets to around where Scott Rowland was in 2022, the year before he got in, which was 63%. And in the most ideal scenario, you have Ichiro going in the Hall of Fame next year. You have CeCe going in the Hall of Fame next year. You have a big year for gains with five guys leaving the ballot and two guys joining. Uh, and you have uh, you have guys like uh, you have guys like Andrew Jones maybe able to make the leap to seventy five. You have Carlos Beltran maybe able to make the leap to seventy five. That's eight. That's a total of at least nine guys leaving the ballot between the between the next two years with only cole hamels with any sort of hall of fame case on the 2026 ballot if chase Sudley is at like 50 percent by then which i think he will be he's gonna have a massive gain in 2026 and that's gonna be the year where we think okay it's going to be a matter of when not if and he's got seven years to go so you might so chase Sudley might not debut at a strong place this year but he's going to be very nicely set up to have a lot of time to gain not a lot. And I think there's going to be a lot of people that put him on their ballots next year. I think there's going to be uh, a lot of people that don't vote for him because he's a first-year player. 
I think there's going to be a lot of guys that don't vote for him because there wasn't room for him on this year's ballot, that there will be room for him next year. I think there's a lot of people that didn't put him because they didn't really know what his Hall of Fame case was going to look like. And now that there's clearly a strong case out there, they're going to reconsider and make some decisions for him. Uh, I think that Chase Utley is going to start making a lot of gains next year. And by 2026, uh, it's going to be a matter of when, not if. Yeah, good. Yeah, good stuff. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, hoping for the best with Chase Utley. And especially as time goes on, people buy, more and more people buy into the, um, into the yeah. modern way of evaluating players and like um more new vader more new voters show up and and have that more modern style of evaluating so it should only mean more support for outley i mean todd, uh, scott Rowland debuted at 10.2 percent and he's a hall of famer todd helton debuted at like 11 percent, i think and he's going to be a hall of famer maybe this year uh, most likely this year maybe next year he's going to be a hall of famer it doesn't matter he debuted at 16.5 percent Chase Sutley is going to debut at like 35 to 40%. Like he is going to be in a very good position with nine years to go at the end of this year. So don't fool yourself by thinking like, oh no, he's got to gain 40%. He's not going to do it. He's going to be in a really, really good spot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, hope, <clears throat> hoping for the best there. Do we want to get into ballot re- uh, mock ballot reveals? Mock ballot reveals. This is like year... I think it's year eight that I or year year nine that I've been doing this, which is insane. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I, the first time I filled out a mock ballot was freshman year of high school. Um, and I've done it through every year of high school and now my first year out of college. Right, right. I have I think I have, this is my fifth and this is my fourth where I really dug into it. The first mm-hmm. one I was like, oh yeah. Yeah. Scott Rowland, I don't know about him. But, um, <laughs> But yeah, now now that uh now that I've studied the Hall of Fame, I think I have a little bit more validity of it. But um, but yeah, uh, do you want to reveal your mock ballot? I will reveal my mock ballot. So there were eleven players that I really wanted to vote for this year. Obviously, I had to leave one out, and deciding who to leave that one took me the entire year. You know, I'm literally the type of person that looks at the future Hall of Fame ballot in April, in June, in July, in August, in October. Like I spend the whole, I know I don't, a lot of people start thinking about it in November, which is fine and understandable. I do it the whole year. And I quite literally spent the entire year figuring out who I was going to have to kick off this ballot. Uh, and it was a very difficult decision, but I made, I made my choice around late November uh, after about 11 months of thinking about it. And I went through several different scenarios where I thought about this guy and that guy. I think I went through like five different guys where I thought about being uh, that one being the guy that I kicked off. But what I decided was the 10 that I'm voting for this year are Bobby Abreu, Carlos Beltran, Adrian Beltre, Todd Helton, Andrew Jones, Joe Maurer, Alex Rodriguez, Gary Sheffield, Chase Utley, and Billy Wagner. The one player that I'm dropping this year is Manny Ramirez. Um, I, I've been voting for Manny Ramirez for several years. I think he's, you know, steroids or not, I think he's one of the greatest right-handed hitters of all time. He had a 996 career OPS, which is kind of unheard of. That's, I mean, Mike Trout is only like a few points ahead of that, um, obviously in much less played appearances. Um, but Manny Ramirez is in his eighth year on the ballot. 
He just crossed 30% for the first time last year. He is probably not going to, he's probably going to dip back below 20% this year with how many people are coming onto the ballot. And ultimately, unfortunately, his case is a lost cause. And what I've kind of learned this year is I just don't have it in me to be Pat or Alex Rodriguez. You know, I do think that they are Hall of Fame worthy players. But after 10 years of the Bonds and Clemens discourse, there's just not as much to say with them. And I think it's understandable if someone doesn't want to vote for either of them. Uh, so Manny Ramirez did get the boot from my ballot this year. Hopefully, I will have room to put him back on next year's ballot, but uh, I had to say goodbye to him for this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, my ballot is, uh, there were also, so yeah, I had nine guys on my ballot last year, um, and one of them got into the Hall of Fame with that guy being Scott Rowland, um, and then the other eight are all still on this year's ballot, and then there were um, three there were three uh, newcomers that I think are hall of fame worthy. Um, so that left me with 11 and having to drop one out. I think I would, if I were an actual voter, I might've changed this given like timing wise. And, and the guy I was, the, the guys I was um, the flip-flopping with were a newcomer and a tent and a guy in his 10th year. So that would, if I were, if I were an actual voter, I probably would have voted for the 10th year guy, but yeah. I just think the newcomer has a better overall case. So, you know, I, I have him in, in this mock ballot. So my seven holdovers are uh, Alex Rodriguez, Andrew Jones, Carlos Beltran, Todd Helton, uh, Bobby Abreu, Billy Wagner, Manny Ramirez. And yeah, the, those are the seven holdovers. And my three newcomers are Adrian Beltre, uh chase utley and joe mauer so i left uh gary sheffield off the list um largely like he's kind of a questionable hall of famer no matter the steroid case and he just didn't have it for for me he didn't have like that um dominant peak or that that area of his career when he was like one of the best players in baseball where like joe mauer had that i think manny ramirez had that um at, at least as as a hitter, like Manny Ramirez from 1995 to 2004, averaged a one fifty nine OPS plus and five WAR per year. Um, I don't know if Gary Sheffield had a had a ten year stretch where he averaged five WAR per year. Um, Probably but, not. But also, um, you know, we have we also have different rules on our um, on our PED scale. Like I just judge a player's a player's career before 2005 when PEDs became punishable, you have a different scale of like sort of adjusting based on if you had PED allegations against you. And if you got suspended, like there's just a certain marker you have to pass. Um, so, so th that's kind of where our differences align. Well, that one different or that one. Uh, well, yeah, aligned. I would say I put, I put Sheffield, you put Manny and that's our only difference. Yeah, yeah, that's and the I, and and I wanted I wanted to vote I would vote Manny if I could and I'm sure if you had 11 you might probably vote Sheffield cuz you voted for him in the past, correct? Yeah, I, I put him in the I put him in the mock ballot last year and the year before and maybe mm -hmm. even the year before that. Um he wasn't in my 2020. I know that. Um but yeah. I yeah, I forget the I, I don't think he was in my or he might have been I think he was in my I definitely dropped him one year. Uh, to make a room. I think it was in the Ortiz ballot. I dropped him. Yes, yes. The 2022 ballot, I did not have him in. I had to drop him. Um, but uh, but yeah, 
hoping for so yeah that those are yeah those are our ballots hoping for um the success of billy wagner shout out to miller school yes. of albemarle um he uh and hoping hoping that leads into some momentum for his for his baseball team in uh in crozet but uh but yeah uh, anything more on the on the ballots i think that's it uh I'm hoping that I will have uh time to do a live reaction on Tuesday. It depends on uh some factors at work, understandably. Um, but I'm I'm very excited. You know, I think, I mean, Adrian Belter is getting in, right? We know that. Um, and I'll I'll get into you know my thoughts on Todd Helton and Joe Maurer and and Billy Wagner once we get there. Uh, Gary Sheffield's actually at seventy four point five percent. One of my hot takes was that he was going to be at seventy percent when the results were announced. So that one's looking pretty good. Uh, he's not going to make it. I, I I'm just going to tell you right now, he has a zero percent chance of making it, even if he's at like seventy seven percent by the time the results are revealed. Um, but yeah, I will have I will have no matter what I will provide all my thoughts. Um, because this is my favorite time of year, and uh, this is the one that I've been looking for in particular. Right, right, and to um. If you're curious on where our hierarchy is on a lot of the uh, players that we have in the have on the ballot, like a lot of that can be referenced in uh, last year's Hall of Fame ballot reveals, where we kind of went on a breakdown of who we thought was was better than who on the ballot. Um, obviously, it doesn't include, um, you know, Utley, Mauer, and and Beltre, but it still gives a pretty uh, solid viewpoint of where we're at um yeah. on the hall of fame ballot so so yeah that shall do it for this installment of above replacement radio um unless anything anything more to add no i think that's it i'm very excited to see uh i'm very excited for for tuesday at six yes absolutely so we hope you enjoyed this one if you're listening on apple Podcasts or spotify and want to watch the conversation as it happens go to the youtube channel it is called above replacement radio check out the playlists with all 13 of the bubble case breakdowns uh, as well as uh, the uh, guest interviews with past, you know, uh, writers for MLB.com or beat, right. You know, a beat writer for the Boston Red Sox with, with Chris Cotillo. Um, You know, lots to lots that can be traced back to that conversation as the Red Sox continue to be more and more interesting and depressing. Uh, But also, yeah, just go to the YouTube channel and check that out. Also, go on, go to our social medias. Follow me on Twitter, Akris underscore Deonta. Follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Current, and follow the show Instagram at Above Replacement Radio for all the show needs. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this one, and we hope to see you next time. Hopefully, we will be reacting to the uh, Hall of Fame ballot, uh, Hall of Fame results reveal, and then after that, we will be ranking the catcher the top 10 catchers and shortstops um in baseball we will see you then this conversation this conversation is over is over